the average American is inside 92 to 93% of their time. Yes. That is mostly in a house and six to seven or 8% in a car. Yeah. And so we should be out 100% of the time. And so that energy differential is huge. And I believe that, as you probably do too, our species is significantly less complex than we can be. And I, I could say that in a different way is that we are devolved from where we could be as humans. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today's guest is Matthew Maruka, the founder of Ra Optics Blue Light Blocking Glasses. This young man started his business at 17 and in less than three years has built it to over $1 million in annual revenue. Matt is committed to teaching about the importance of healthy sunlight exposure and the risk of indoor living, especially excess screen time, time indoors, and artificial light exposure. Like many of Paul's guests, Matt became interested in this field because he struggled with health issues from a young age, and for the last seven years, he's focused on researching, learning, and educating about the relevance of light exposure on our health. Would you like some solid education on the light coming from computers, phones, and TV screens and how it's damaging your eyes, your health, and what you can do about it? How about a deeper understanding of sunlight and all the amazing things that it does in and for your body and mind? Would you like to hear of some of the profound experiences I had during a year of Egyptian sun gazing while being a vegetarian and meeting the spirit of the sun? I certainly was amazed. I'm excited to share my guest, Matt Maruka, who has devoted several years of study to light, which led him to developing his own company to produce effective blue blocker glasses that actually work. Matt is not only a 21-year-old genius whose depth of knowledge will blow you away. He gives objective demonstrations on the podcast using a light spectrometer to prove his points. He showed me that my blue blocker glasses were essentially almost useless, unfortunately, and they weren't cheap either. Oh well. He gave me a couple of pairs of his amazing raw optics blue blocker glasses, and one of them, designed for night use, increases melatonin levels to enhance sleep, so I'm excited to put those to work. Matt also gave my four-year-old son, Mana, a pair of his excellent blue blocker glasses, and we were all surprised this morning when Mana got up and put them on all by himself before watching his shows to learn how they build monster trucks, robots, and things like that. You know, I've known for some time that there were new souls coming to the earth plane with genius in them to help us in this transition, and today, you get to experience one of them. This is a deep, powerful, informative interview with lots of fun and sometimes wild experiences being shared. And I hope you love listening as much as I did recording the interview and spending the day with Matt Maruka. Enjoy. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Living 4D with Paul Check. Today, I have an exciting guest for you. We are going to talk about light. I've titled this podcast, The Light in Your Life, What You Need to Know with Matt Maruka. Matt, welcome. Thanks, Paul. We've had a great uh, half a day here together, getting warmed up lifting rocks and having good food and talking about life. How do you like the rainbow, Matt? I like it a lot. Pretty fun, isn't it? If this is a half day for you, then your days are very long and thorough. <laughs> it's been quite a few hours. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, you know, Matt, I got turned on to you by Ben Greenfield, and he normally does not email me and say, hey, you really should interview this guy unless he really has already 
giving you the green light. And as I told you, he's not an easy guy to please. So I went and listened to your podcast with... Uh, Wellness it? Mama. Wellness Mama, yes. Yeah. yeah. And I'd never heard her podcast before. She's quite good. Uh, and I thought your podcast was fantastic. And what blew me away is you were only 18 years old when you did that podcast. Yeah. Well, actually, that one, I think I was a bit older. Were you? Yeah. That was in, I believe we recorded last November. So I would have been 20 for 20. that particular. But several of the others I sent, the most popular ones were when I was 18. Yeah. Well, that, I was really amazed. Even for 20 or any age, you were certainly uh, letting it flow. And I think you have the Ben Greenfield gene in you there. You were, you sounded like a young Ben Greenfield, which is a compliment for a mind like that powerful. And, you know, you talked a little bit about, you just briefly touched on some of the challenges that led you into all your explorations of light. So I thought, uh, you know, maybe you could share a little bit about some of your lessons from what I call the pain teacher and just what ultimately led you into your explorations of light and starting your business. So why don't you give us a little history so we know that the wounded healer is here. Yeah, I'm curious now that you say it, how the pain teacher relates to the other doctors. That's a side note. But well, I was going into high school around 14 when most people naturally do. And I was really, really struggling with a lot of digestive distress chronically. Like every time I would eat, I mm -hmm. would feel quite bad. I would have a lot of gas and bloating. It was coupled with bad allergies, chronically, congestion, itchy eyes, itchy throat, and headaches that I would get on a pretty much daily basis at school. And this had all been going on for several years. And what actually stimulated my curiosity to start researching was when I started getting really bad breakouts on my skin all over. And I was like, whoa, I don't want this. And I started researching about diet because I kind of had this feeling that that would potentially help me. I learned about the paleo diet, which was a very good introduction to the concept of epigenetics and learning that for the first time in my life, that what I'm genetically programmed as isn't who I'm meant to be forever which was basically what I had been taught until then. That opened my mind. I was reading Mark Sisson's blog probably more than anyone else's, mm -hmm. but also Chris Kresser and the oh, yeah. others, Rob I've been Wolf. I've Chris before. And they're all very smart people who yeah. are definitely shedding light on the problems of commercial agriculture and the diet people have been eating. But after a year and a half kind of bouncing from diet to diet or variation, I should say, of the paleo diet, I still felt that there was a lot that I was missing. And I learned about who I mentioned to you earlier, this doctor named Jack Cruz, who was educating towards the paleo sphere as an audience that may receive his message, but it was a much deeper level. He started mm -hmm. going into how the food we eat isn't the main driver of health, mainly because the food we're eating is, for example, carbohydrates, proteins, and fats, but we don't take those into our mitochondria. We take in protons and electrons and neutrons, essentially. Yeah. And there's a whole series of processes that need to happen from carbs, proteins, and fats to get down to protons, neutrons, and electrons. Mm -hmm. And that ultimately, that's what really affects our health, as well as how well 
which is part of this process, how the mitochondria can actually break through that food and utilize that fuel. And if there's a factor in our environment Mm -hmm. that is disabling our mitochondria's natural ability to utilize our fuel, eating a more premium diet isn't going to solve the issue in the mitochondria in the same way that putting premium fuel into a car instead of a regular lower octane fuel isn't going to fix, for example, broken spark plugs. And you mentioned you worked on engines. So what I started to kind of gather was that this new indoor lifestyle that we've transitioned to more than anything in the last 50 and 100 years is damaging our mitochondria's ability to burn through our fuel, kind of like damaging the ignition system of an engine. And therefore, whether you're taking in lower octane or higher octane gas isn't going to solve those broken spark plugs. And so we needed to actually go and look at the engine. And that was what opened my my mind to the world of light. And from Dr. Cruz's uh, very comprehensive blog and dozens of researchers who he cites, who I started to read their work, and they all sort of became mentors in a way yeah. to me, mm-hmm. just through their work. I started to learn about these things that led much further into you know, spirituality because a couple of years ago, well, five, 10 years ago, I would have thought all the stuff you're talking about with energy and tarot would have been just some crazy concept to me. But now having read certain books like The Body Electric by Robert Becker. Yes. Very good book. I've studied his work a lot. That was something that just opened my mind to the, the idea. And I would say truth that the body is much more than just a bunch of chemicals randomly floating around and that we are just the products of uh, genetic determinism and so on. And so that became my passion and led to my research, my interest in these things and starting my business as well. Yeah. And what you just said, by the way, is part of what's missing in Dr. Cruz's work because it's really based on the biochemistry of the body and the Krebs cycle and the mitochondria, but without a long discussion, there's many other pathways that we bring energy into our body and information, and light happens to be one of them. And if you study Robert Becker's work on the perineural system, you'll find all sorts of neat stuff that you can digest on that. But if I get into all that now, we'll have a long discussion other than our podcast. Of course, yeah. I would say Dr. Cruz is focused on biophysics more than anything else, more, much more than biochemistry, which is what Western medicine and even functional medicine is limited to in yeah. many senses, mm-hmm. although functional medicine is expanding. And that's sort of the key thing. But I think there's a big, let's say, gap, or there's much more as well beyond it, especially in the spiritual realm, yes. which I, I assume is what you're also referring to. Well, I am. And, and just since you're on that, I'll make a point to you that the word meta means above, doesn't it? Well, biophysics is informed by metaphysics. And there's now many well-documented and even scientifically demonstrated cases of breatharians who don't have to get eat anything to produce energy. So you have to say, well, how are they doing that if Dr. Cruz's approach is complete? Because they wouldn't be able to function if that was totally true. So, but I, but I do love his work. Don't get me wrong. Um, I'm just saying there are other factors that aren't often looked at until a person themselves reaches the end of the um, reductionist mindset. 
Also, if you study the uh, sun dancers, and right on my right in my cabinet over there where I do my morning prayers is a picture of Joseph Rael, whose work you should look into. It's mind-blowing. He's got several phenomenal books, and he goes deep into sound. When sound and light are linked together through octaves, so we'll, we'll, we can talk maybe more about that later. But Joseph Rael did the sun dance 16 times. Are you familiar with I'm not familiar with the sun dance, actually. Well, I'll tell you what the sun dance is to put this into perspective. One, it takes years of preparation to do it. The sun dance is a dance. It's a ceremonial dance done every four years. And the sun dancers dance nonstop, 24 hours a day for four days with no food or water. Wow. Okay, so we had a good workout this morning. Try dancing a ceremonial dance nonstop, 24 hours a day for four days with no food and water. And Joseph Riel describes how none of the sun dancers need to eat or drink anymore. He said he chose to eat because he loves the experience of sharing food. And for him, it's a ceremonial type of celebration of life. So he continued to eat even though he didn't, didn't need to. Um, so when you start studying the teachings of people that have demonstrated beyond a shadow of a doubt that human beings are only operating at a fraction of their potential. And my own experience with, you know, a whole lifetime of spiritual practices in Tai Chi and things that have happened to me and all the things that I see happening to my students and my clients when they follow my teachings. And then you also have to look at issues of spontaneous healing from serious terminal diseases where, a person forgives the people that harm them, changes their mindset, and in 24 hours, tumors the size of oranges disappear. So if we were really running only on the kinds of biochemical pathways that Dr. Cruz is referring to, that would be impossible. I would add that his work and the work of these others actually, for me, shown the flashlight onto the possibility for the things you're describing. And I would say none of them, including Dr. Cruz, would discount those things. In fact, I believe they lay the Western framework for these things, such yeah. as breatharianism. And for example, um, one of the things that Dr. Cruz talks about very often is that we can take infrared light from the sun, which is one of the primary components of sunlight, which the main reason artificial light, one of the main reasons it's so detrimental is especially with LEDs like the ones above is the infrared component is subtracted out. And this is a free source of energy for us to use as fuel in place of food. Yeah. So that these ideas actually segue very nicely into these concepts and almost provide that scientific groundwork for them to work such, and as well as changing our thoughts changes, you know, some would say our endocrine secretions and changes our DNA and could lead to the spontaneous healing. So I wouldn't necessarily say that they are in any way exclusive. Well, the thing, they're not exclusive. If you look at what the psyche is, Jung describes the psyche as a rainbow bridge. And that rainbow bridge goes from pure spirit or that which cannot be measured. So you can, however you want to categorize that source or zero point energy which has the flow of energy and information that's driving all creation all the way to pure inanimate matter. So within us is the range of 
pure spirit or potential, which steps itself down to mind, which steps itself down into the astral realm, which steps itself down into the etheric energy field, which is the energy field produced by the 30 billion billion biochemical reactions a second in your body, which steps itself down into the cell. And that is coming in through the chakras. So for those of you that are oriented to the chakras, the vortexes, you know what they are. Uh, the chakras, most people don't realize this, but at each level you have three chakras. And the uh, William A. Tiller's research, he's a famous scientist, very, very, very deep, famous scientist, Stanford, I think, I think he's at Stanford University. But uh, if you look at his book, Science and Human Transformation, he gives you the mathematics on the speed of light for each of the chakras. And, and long story made short, shows that a lot of our physical ideas about light are wrong. And um, so the mental chakra is a step-down transformer that, that interacts with what's classically called the noosphere, the sphere of mind. So think of these layers as vibrational layers. So from the causal realm, which is source, which can't be measured, you have the mental realm. So the mental chakra steps that vibration down to the astral realm, which is what links to our emotion or our feeling body which steps it down to the etheric realm, which is where it then enters the nadis and the meridians, which then it migrates itself into the body to reach the cells, which is linked to the hormones and the circulatory system. And I do have some questions about that that we can talk about a little bit later on. So in other words, you can make healing changes at any of those levels and they can trigger a chain reaction because the psyche goes all the way from pure spirit or what some would refer to as God, but not a God that wants anything from you. In science, it would be pure potential. So the zero point field would be a good example of pure potential. And then steps itself down. But as I told you earlier, Einstein said the sole governing agency of the particle is the field. Well, the sole governing actor in the field is your mind. And the agency of experience is the emotional body and then the physical body. So the point I'm making is you can actually trigger healing from any of those levels that affects all of the levels. For example, if someone has a huge emotional shift, maybe they've been through a divorce and they had a lot of anger and then they end up with breast cancer, but they um, go through some spiritual training and learn that there's beauty waiting for them, right? So, for example, many people have come to me really still angry at their ex, maybe even five, ten years later, and, and they're, of course, seeing me because they've got some kind of health problem. But when we do the work to learn how to find the silver lining in the cloud of gray, as Napoleon Hill would say, and realize that their soul is just allowing them to move forward to the next great love of their life and to, to be able to see this in a positive light. That would be an emotional healing that will have an instant effect on the body. But because that emotional healing re requires a change in beliefs, it's affecting the mind. And all of those are a spiritual experience. So do you see I'm saying that because the psyche is a rainbow bridge, that each end is sort of like if you step on a cat's tail, it's the other end that yells, right? So you can work at the physical body, the cat's tail, but the mind reacts. You can work on the mind and the cat's tail waggles. So the psychic 
and I, when I say psychic, I don't mean psychic like uh, a card reader or, or uh, you know, psychic at the store. I mean, psychic meaning soul. Reality is all encompassing. And this is why you can get people, I get them all the time, that have gone to all sorts of experts who technically, based on physiology, should have been able to help them fix their problems. And they come with all the supplements and all the gadgets and all the everything that they've been doing for years and they're getting worse. But then when I interact with them and teach them real simple things like <laughs> four doctors, how to get clear on what's happy making in their life, how to balance their body with exercise, how to eat correctly for their individual needs and how to rest properly and then help them orient themselves to what is real happy making in their lives. Then all of a sudden things that haven't cleared up that you would think would clear up because from a textbook perspective, they should have healed a long time ago, all of a sudden happen. In my recent interview with Dr. Ibrahim Karim, founder of Biogeometry, Dr. Karim made an excellent point. He highlighted the fact that we do not have an organ for converting sunlight directly into energy that we can use to run our bodies. But when you realize that the human body is as intimate with the environment as you can imagine, you can come to a deep realization that plants and trees are our organ of light digestion. They use photosynthesis to convert light into proteins, fats, and carbohydrates so we can live and love fully. But today, 94 to 96% of all the foods and supplements consumed are commercially farmed, which means that the love of the sun and all its amazing gifts from our external vegetative organ are poisoned with dangerous, health-damaging chemicals and radiation. So how do I suggest you get the best from Father's Son and our amazing external organ, the plants and the trees? Try Organifi. Organifi offers you a comprehensive line of certified organic superfoods from excellent drink mixes to protein powders to probiotics to excellent collagen supplementation for your skin and connective tissues to liver support, joint support, and immune support nutrition. My family and I and many of my clients and students use Organifi products every day, and I've never heard anything but great feedback. They're easy to prepare, highly nutritious, taste great, and travel well to work, meetings, the park, sporting events, or school. And you save 20% as a Living 4D with Paul Check listener when you use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K, 20. That's check 20 on checkout. So just go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com. Have a look at all their amazing, super clean, highly nutritious products and use the code, all caps, check 20 on checkout. Enjoy Organifi. When you have people with complex life histories, complex stories, um, and a multiplicity of inputs, right? Most of us, the human body is, as you know, extremely complex. So you've got, the human body is a cybernetic system, which by definition is a system of systems. So the analogy I give is, can you touch a spider's web without affecting the whole web? No. So you can't change any hormone without changing every effect in the body. You can't change even the posture of your body without affecting everything in your body. You affect the breathing, you affect everything. You affect the thinking, you affect everything. So I use a technique I call surrounding the dragon, which means when somebody's so complicated, you don't know what to do because everything's screwed up. You start by prioritizing what is the most likely 
or the most potent negative influence on the body. And to the degree that that can be addressed and the patient's willing to address it, you start there. But sometimes people just won't do things because maybe their challenge is a religious belief and they're too indoctrinated. So then I might say, well, let's start with your diet and then let's get your exercise right. So as a therapist, I have to prioritize what is most important with my knowledge as the therapist. But then I also have to identify what are they most willing to do without so much internal resistance, doubt, or fear that it's as a blocking effect on the therapy. So when you look at people holistically like that, what you find is that a lot of the things that experts say are very narrow and reductionistic in scope, and they can sound very logical and rational, but they often don't work. Because even if you get someone's mitochondria working right, but they have a lot of negative self-talk or poor self-esteem, the force of that will just keep shutting the mitochondria down. That's something that I fully agree with. And that's what I've been learning about the most recently. I mentioned that I came across Dr. Joe Dispenza and his explanations of what you just shared are very, very similar. Yes. And and he's a perfect guy to to take somebody through the journey of of the Rainbow Bridge that I just talked about, because he does cover that. And as I shared in conversation with you earlier, his model is almost identical to the model that I developed by studying for 36 years and practicing and just paying attention to what we have to learn to reach our potential as a human being and as a therapist or a doctor. And personally, I I believe there's truth. There's some truth in everything. So for example, when I saw a, a television interview with Jack Cruz on Gaia, I really thought this guy's really got his shit together and he's, he's uh, hitting on some really important things. In fact, the idea of taking cold showers and doing cold, I was talking about that way before anyone was doing it or if it was unpopular. I was talking about that 16 years ago and telling people use cold water therapies, etc. I studied cryotherapy probably in 88, 89 and used cryotherapy regularly and physical therapy to rehabilitate injuries and all sorts of stuff. So I had a lot of experience with what cold therapies can do and what their limitations are. That's a fun one we could talk a little bit about because I have by nature read a bit about the mechanisms there. What my understanding is at present is when we get into the cold, it's stimulating the nervous system, of course, and that stimulates especially the brown adipose tissue. Mm -hmm which is, uh, I learned brown because apparently mitochondria are brown. And so that's why it's brown adipose tissue as opposed to white adipose tissue, because it's very dense in mitochondria. It's Mm -hmm. it's an organ of heat production, essentially. It's a a metabolic organ. Yeah. And so when it isn't just the brown adipose tissue, of course, when we get this cold exposure, it activates the uncoupling proteins in the mitochondria. Mm -hmm. So rather than funneling all those electrons across the you know, electron transport chain and getting the protons in that gradient space so they can flow down and generate that positive charge, that proton motive force, as they call it, which on the podcast you did with Kyle, you mentioned how when we breathe, it brings in positive charge. And I was thinking, how is that? Because oxygen is technically a negative in a way it pulls electrons. It's it's electronegative, but by doing so, it increases the positive charge in a sense through this mechanism, but the uncoupling protons poke a hole in that membrane, allow protons to leak in a calculated way down the gradient, which 
if it happened uncontrolled, we would die very quickly. That's in a sense, in a way, what cyanide does is it collapses that gradient. But when it's controlled, it causes the mitochondria to really ramp up that mm-hmm. energy production. And in the process of dumping those protons through the uncoupling proteins, instead of generating ATP, it just releases all that energy stored as free heat or infrared light. And based on the work of Dr. Gerald Pollock and a couple others, that infrared light structures that water in and around the mitochondria into that fourth phase EZ, which is much more capable of storing heat and storing light and information, of course. And so just by taking a cold shower, it's a simple hack, shall we say, to the system Mm -hmm. to boost up our exclusion zones and ultimately the mitochondrial function, the structure in the cells. And I found that very fascinating. I don't think most people know that that's how it works. Two things. One, I hate the word hack because it's an invasive word. And two, it's taking shortcuts. What you just described, I call bioharmonizing. Okay. So there's a, a, a real difference for me as a therapist because if someone hacks into your computer, they're stealing from you. You're taking shortcuts. You're being invasive. Um, and the whole concept of biohacking is really largely how can I spend money to use gadgets to avoid living for doctors and nutrition, hydration, sleep, breathing, thinking, and movement. So I would hopefully inspire you to use bioharmonize because someone with your knowledge can inspire a lot of people to think biohacking is what they want to do when really what you're teaching people to do is harmonize, aren't you? Yes. And so language is very, very powerful, right? You change the order of a couple of letters and you can change the meaning of anything. And so uh, the other thing is... I never did like the term biohacking, just to be clear. And when I say hack, I do feel a bit of a misaligned energy. So yes. I am with you on that one. Yeah. If you listen to my podcast, I did a two-part series with Dave Asprey and I took took him head on with the whole biohacking yeah. thing and got him a bit fired up. But in the end, he had to agree with me because he too realizes that the concept he pioneered is being used in many pathological ways. And we're creating a whole culture of people that want shortcuts and gimmicks, which ties them to gadgets, which basically goes against the whole thing we're all concerned about. And what your glasses are for is getting rid of negative electromagnetic influences. So, um, Very well put. You know, uh, the other thing is when you're looking at oxygen, what I was talking about with Kyle is the paramagnetic relationship to oxygen. So that's a different class of energy. For example, if you read the book um, Life Force by physicist Claude Swanson, he shows you many different forms of chi, but most people don't know that. Most people think that life force is just life force. For example, he shows Tai Chi masters are able to magnetize plastic wood and all sorts of things with their own life force energy. Now, most left brain materialists would tell you it's absolutely impossible to magnetize wood or plastic, but it isn't. And so he gives you plenty of hard science on these different forms of life force energy. But Philip Callahan was the scientist that first identified that the sun during solar flares actually does something that was thought to be impossible, and that's to produce monopole photons. And he showed that photons can become diamagnetic or paramagnetic. 
And a paramagnetic photon has an affinity for the south pole of a magnet, which is the yang energy of energy expression and dispersion. Dimagnetic energies have an affinity for the north pole, which is the multiplication of energy type energy. So yin multiplies energy. That's what yin means, multiply of energy. When you go to bed at night, you're going into a yin phase, but when you're working out in the gym, you're dividing your energy. And that's why we have to have recovery because we have to regenerate, right? So when something has a high paramagnetic charge, it's got a very unique property because all the tissues of your body and water are diamagnetic. That makes sense? So in farming, if you read the book Science and Agriculture, Arden Anderson, who's a, got a PhD in soil science and he's a medical doctor, he shows you that what makes plants go grow is the relationship between the electric and magnetic fields. So if the balance of the minerals is off, which is the balance between paramagnetic minerals, and by the way, all the pyramids and all the major healing sites of the world were measured by Philip Callahan and found to have extremely high paramagnetic levels. And he showed by doing geological surveys that the people that built the pyramids and the Irish round towers and a lot of the healing sites that were built by hand by the people that built them often had to go 50 to 300 miles to find the exact stones that were put into those structures because they were able to read and sense the paramagnetic energies, which someone who's adequately developed can do that. I can do that easily. I do it all the time. I showed you my water charger I'm building. That's what I'm doing. I'm actually using stones that have a high paramagnetic reading coupled with stones that have a high diamagnetic reading, which is like chain, chain coupling magnets north-south, 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 which produces a huge electromagnetic field. So what, what Arden Anderson showed is that if your mineral ratio between paramagnetic and diamagnetic gets too low, you don't have enough polarity differential to drive the electric field. The plants follow the electric field. That's why everything grows upward toward the sun. The magnetic field wraps itself around the globe. Callahan's research showed that oxygen was the highest substance that he had ever found or that anyone's found, and the highest on the scale is 4,000. Comparatively, he showed that if a, if a farmer's field does not have between 60 and 300 of paramagnetic reading, it won't grow and the plants are highly susceptible to disease. You'll get a lot of weak plants, which is exactly what happens on commercial farms, which is why they get a lot of parasites in the soil because the parasites come to eat the weak plants. And so what do they do? They add more chemicals and they deplete the soils even further. And so that's what most people are living on, right? Consider only four to 6% of the food eaten worldwide is organically grown, which means using intelligent soil science to balance the soils. So about 94 to 96% of all the food eaten is grown in dead soils that are covered in poisons that a lot of is Roundup, which fucks your microbiome up, which scurs your whole mitochondria up because they're susceptible to that because they're bacteria. So, and a lot of medical drugs are very dangerous to the mitochondria, such as antibiotics can wipe your mitochondrial population out significantly. This is why a lot of people go into chronic fatigue after long periods of antibiotic use. So to loop back to what I was trying to explain on Kyle's podcast, and, and I have on many podcasts, is that when you take a breath of oxygen, you're bringing it into a body that's diamagnetically charged. Your blood, your bones, your tissue, your, the water in your body is all diamagnetic. 
So what happens is when you take a full breath, and this is why people have so many spiritual experiences with breathing exercise, you saturate your blood with oxygen, you're saturating it with the equivalent of the south pole of a magnet while your body is the north pole. That sets up a polarity differential. The greater the polarity differential, the more energy potential you have. That makes sense? Absolutely, yeah. So that's the difference. You see, you can look at oxygen from different rating systems, just like you can look at anything from different rating systems. I never went that deep, but I was, uh, you know, I did come across in studying naturally that the reason oxygen is drawn to the mitochondria specifically is because they generate very strong magnetic fields Mm -hmm. and that these oxygen is paramagnetic and that paramagnetic substances are drawn to magnetic fields. Just like North and South Pole attract each other. And that's what makes an electric motor work, right? It's spinning a North and a South field. So you've got magnets in the motor and a rotor and they're oppositely polarized. So as the motor is spinning, it's the South pulling the North or the North pulling South, however you want to say it. If you turn them, change the wires, it'll spin backwards. So an electric motor is really an oscillation of opposite charges producing motion, which by the way is what runs the entire universe. Pretty cool stuff. And so this is why breathing is one of my six foundation principles, because if you're not breathing right, then your body is going to have a low polarity differential and you're going to be tired all the time, which leads to a lot of biohacking and The common biohacks that people use are drinking a bunch of coffee, a bunch of tea, five-hour energy, Red Bull, Monster, all poisonous, toxic shit, all of which could be thrown out the window if you just learn to breathe properly. And for any athlete that doesn't know how to breathe, they have a performance deficit of a very high accord, and the average person breathes 25,900 times a day. So if you do that poorly 25,900 times, that adds up to a big deficit, doesn't it? If you do it correctly, it adds up to a, a quite a significant surplus. And interestingly, 25,900 is exactly the number of years in the long count of the Mayan calendar. And it's also how long it takes for the precession of the equinox because of the axis of the earth is at a 23 degree angle. So in 25,900 years, that axis rotates one full circle, which means that we are in total harmony with the whole universe and that what you are is the product of everything. There's nothing out there that isn't involved in Matt sitting here talking to me right now. And that is spirituality. And the yogis explained this thousands of years ago. I can show you lectures by Joseph Campbell going through it. I can show you lectures by Paramahansa Yogananda and many great yogis. All these cycles were well known. But what happened is we got so involved in masculine-driven reductionist science that we lost touch with our connection to the world, which has led to the destruction of the planet, because we now think we can fix everything with a pill or a gadget. And then biohacking comes in to increase the pathology, in my opinion. (laughs) So that was a nice little segue. But uh, I just wanted to share that with you because you have a very bright mind and you've looked into a lot of these things. And I didn't want you to misunderstand that paramagnetic relationship because that's really critical. I appreciate it. I am going to research. All of these things are things I'd like to research a lot further. Phil Callahan has a book called Paramagnetism, 
Another one that you'd find mind-blowing is Tuning Into Nature by Philip Callahan. Um, loads of great stuff. If I start talking about that, it'll take us a long time, but I've got a whole lot. You're surrounded by excellent books on all these topics. <laughs> I have to study this stuff because people that come to me are often very complicated and they've seen lots of doctors and therapists. So, you know, if someone's seen 10 chiropractors, it's probably not a chiropractic problem, right? So I made a living out of saying what's missing and what's causing that. And that's the most important question to always ask as a young man, you know, your career is just beginning. So you always have to ask what causes that. And when you find the answer, say what causes that and keep doing that until you hit an end point and you'll be at zero, a mystery. And that's what God is. The mystery it can't be known, but here we all are dancing, singing, crying, <laughs> playing, figuring it out the hard way. Hi, everybody. My friends at Bioptimizers have formulated the most complete, potent, and first full-spectrum magnesium formula ever created. It's called Magnesium Breakthrough. If there's one mineral you should be worried about not getting enough, it's magnesium. Magnesium is the body's master mineral, providing over 300 critical reactions, including detoxification, fat metabolism, energy production, and even digestion is influenced by the presence of magnesium. But there are two big problems here. Magnesium has been largely missing from U.S. soils since the 1950s and probably soils around the world wherever commercial farming is done, which explains why it's estimated that up to 80% of the population may be deficient in magnesium. Most magnesium supplements only contain one or two forms of magnesium, when in reality there are at least seven your body needs and benefits from. If you take this later fact into consideration, it's logical to conclude that 99% of the population is likely to be deficient in two or more essential forms of magnesium. The good news is that when you do get all seven forms of magnesium, pretty much every function in your body is upgraded from your brain to your sleep to reducing pain and inflammation, and it all improves fast. The Bioptimizer's formulation team even included trace amounts of something called monoatomic magnesium, which helps make all the other forms of magnesium more bioavailable. With magnesium breakthrough as part of your daily supplement routine, you are likely to reduce your stress levels and feel relaxed and at peace, boost your immune system, maintain optimal heart rhythm, sleep faster and deeper. Better sleep quality is a surefire way to reduce your stress and to enhance overall performance. Sleeping better and having all seven forms of bioavailable magnesium to support your body is a great way to lower cortisol levels, which not only enhances cortisol melatonin balance, but people with adrenal exhaustion, often experiences chronically low energy levels, are likely to experience better short-term memory and improve cognitive performance as a result of enhancing their magnesium profile. And to my knowledge, Magnesium Breakthrough is the most complete magnesium supplement blend available. To get your magnesium breakthrough, go to bioptimizers.com forward slash living 4D. That's bioptimizers, B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S.com forward slash living number four small d. And your checkout code for your 10% discount is all small case P-A-U-L 10 for your 10% off any order. Enjoy magnesium breakthrough, sleeping better, looking better, and feeling better. I've titled this podcast, The Light in Your Life, What You Need to Know 
what you need to know about light. So before we dive into some of the daily applications of what we need to know, how can we enhance our lives with awareness of light and its different types and effects? Um, I really thought we should start with some of the basics of light. Well, that does get into some of the applications as far as how we can enhance our lives. Yeah, well, if you if you give us information that relates to questions early, later on, we'll we'll just uh, see if you have anything else to add or jump to the next one. Fantastic. I just well, like to have fun. Absolutely. Well, from the things that I've studied, the best things that people can do are to start to live outdoors more. Yes. So, of course, we're in this indoor lifestyle. We are bombarded with basically deficient light spectrums from all of the artificial lights we're exposed to. So based on the knowledge and the understanding, which we'll get into more and more here, that the body is based on light. You know, we are beings of light. Yes. When we move to, and we actually evolved in full spectrum sunlight and sunlight drove a lot of evolution or all of evolution, we could say in, in a large way. So the way I look at it is that we build a system of a certain level of complexity with a certain amount of energy availability, shall we say, from the sun. If we move to this indoor lifestyle and we're deficient in that energy that allowed our system to become complex to yes. a certain level, mm -hmm. we will, by law, decomplexify to meet the complexity allowed by the energy present in the environment. And yeah. that, just as with breathing poorly is very deficient when you live an indoor lifestyle. There's a study from an American agency that found that the average American is inside 92 to 93% of their time. Yes. That is mostly in a house and six to seven or 8% in a car. Yeah. And so we should be out 100% of the time. And so that energy differential is huge. And I believe that as you probably do too, our species is significantly less complex than we can be. And I, I could say that in a different way is that we are devolved from where we could be as humans what due to this. What we've become is less complex, but more complicated, if you understand That's that. one way to put it, yeah. Yes, absolutely. We're, we're less complex, but more complicated because we've destroyed the harmony of our complexity. And the truth is that the greater the harmony, the more simplicity you have in complexity. Does that make sense? It does, yeah. And Latin, I studied Latin, and I really appreciate it as a foundation for understanding the words we use. Yes. Uh, and so, complicare in Latin means for things to be tied together and tangled together. And yes. so, complicare? Yeah, I believe that's the correct root. So, anyhow, complicated basically means that things are sort of tied together. Imagine yes. a rope or yes. something that's just tangled up. Mm -hmm. So I like that you distinguish between complexity and complication because yeah. complexity is almost like complication, but with structure and complication is sort of like complexity without the structure. And so as we make things less and less complicated, we're sort of untangling a mess that we've created yes. for ourselves. As far as how can we use life to make our life better? light to make our life better. I do just simply believe for someone who's getting into this at a basic level, the most value that I can provide, not having studied a lifetime worth of all the spiritual texts and uh, metaphysics like you have, being able to really explain these things in some 
metaphysical way as well as physical, which you are you have done already. Just getting full spectrum sunlight is such a simple jump for people. Just like you say, just breathing more. As I was listening to your podcast with Kyle, I was thinking, how does sunlight fit into the doctors? Which doctor does it fit into? And I'm thinking nutrition, doctor nutrition is probably the most fitting doctor simply because I think of light as another form of nutrition, just like we have the vitamins and minerals. Mm -hmm. We have the fuels we're consuming. Light is a form of energy that fuels our organism. And I would argue the most foundational of the energies that fuel our organism. So when we live a poor light diet with a poor light diet, we have issues related to that. But again, it's something that although it's very thoroughly researched over the last 150, 200 years in Western medicine, but of course, 5,000 plus years in all of the Eastern traditions, we are bound to have, uh, we're bound to have these problems if we're eating this while consuming a poor light diet. And so what I teach, I've actually sort of summed up the basic principles of the things that I've learned that I applied into what I call the light diet in order for people to be able to simply take eight steps and make basic changes into their lifestyle to really improve their relationship with light. Okay. So I'll throw you a little fun curveball, please. Um, you're speaking of light, but let's look at it from a different perspective. It's Dr. Diet that is the nutrition and Dr. Diet and alchemy is the earth element. And it also symbolizes embodiment. So whatever you're eating, remember the old saying, you are what you eat. And you are what you don't excrete as well. So what are you eating? Could any of it be here without light? Of course not. So photosynthesis is really what allows us to have something to eat, right? And for the animals that don't have photosynthesis, they have to eat something that photosynthesizes. So all food really is tied to the sun and light. And May that, I interject? Yes. Yeah. So uh, fully agreed. And light is the basis of all food. But I would just um, add to our prior conversation here that technically you don't, if you cannot, well, everything can photosynthesize. You said if you can't photosynthesize, we can photosynthesize in a sense, in a way. And Ben Greenfield's been really interested in, in this lately. Actually, he said it's been his top area of fascination, how we can use melanin to take ultraviolet light mm-hmm. and cause the water molecule to split and basically get a source of free electrons right. to power our mitochondria, which in my opinion is how breatharianism actually works. It in addition be. to having a very well dialed in, uh, well coupled internal usage of light. For example, you wrote in one of the questions uh, about people who have lived in darkness in caves for a long time. Right. Of course, they're not getting much sunlight, although one could argue that there is because of the earth being exposed to that electric charge of sunlight, there is still energy, even in the darkest of caves, infrared energy and so on, which is the fuel that I spoke of earlier that we can live off of. But I would also add that if they're able to slow down their metabolic rate sufficiently, and this one's a bit um, more, let's say, not as well studied, at least in the Western science, but if they're able to dial in their internal light spiritually, then we're going to be leaking less light. We can utilize it better. And this gets to your questions of biophotons, but we can utilize that inner light better. So to me, it isn't a crazy hard thing to explain or understand how someone could be in a dark cave for potentially years and eat basically nothing other than breathing air and just being. If they were 
doing a bunch of hard exercise, I would guess it might be much harder, but they don't. They sit and meditate effectively. Yeah. So I do believe that's uh, something that to point on. But to your question, you were asking about how, you know, we can well, all food is based on photosynthesis and light. Yes. And so one of the things that Dr. Kareem, uh, Ibrahim Kareem shared in my most recent, uh, well, I don't know if it'll be the most recent by this podcast or by the time this comes out, but it's the current podcast I have out now, which is just a, a an excellent podcast. And, and Ibrahim Kareem is as deep as deep gets. Uh, he's a, a architect and a scientist and a tremendous metaphysician. And he makes a beautiful point. He says, we don't really have the equipment for photosynthesis, not adequately enough to feed ourselves unless you're going to do, you know, 50 lifetimes of uh, spiritual development and become a fire, uh, you know, a a sun dancer or one of these rare people out of the Himalayas. Uh, I was watching a documentary a couple of months ago. They, They actually found a breatharian in the Himalayan mountains who agreed to let them do research on them. And they were doing that research in India. And the scientists were saying they were completely mind boggled when they started hooking them up to all sorts of scientific instruments, because what was happening is textbook said not to be able to happen. So he was breaking all the rules of physiology is basically what they were saying. Um, but what, what Dr. Kareem pointed out very beautifully, he says, people don't realize that just like you have organs in your body, you have hormonal glands, you have digestive organs, eliminative organs, you have lungs for breathing, you have a heart to help circulate blood, et cetera, et cetera, that we aren't separate from the earth and the plants are our organ of capturing sunlight and turning it into food. So the point that he was making and what I'm sharing with you is that we've got to stop distinguishing ourselves as separate from what's out there because it is that scientific materialist reductionist viewpoint that has led us to believing that we can do whatever we want to the planet and poison it and that somehow it's not going to affect us because it's just food or whatever people think but what he really was driving at is that the plant life in nature is actually a human organ of photosynthesis that we need and interestingly enough the nerve plexus that's largely responsible for breaking down your food is the solar plexus, which means the sun plexus. And that is a massive ganglion of nerves that has more neurons. Most people don't realize this. Your solar plexus has more neurons than your brainstem and spinal cord combined. And its job is to break that food down and get the energy that was put in there through the process of photosynthesis and convert it back to energy that you can use in your body. So the kind of the driving point is, is that our organ of photosynthesis is nature itself. And we have to realize that whatever we do to the environment, we do to ourselves. And whatever we do to ourselves, we do to the environment. Sick people do sick things to the environment. Healthy people nourish and care for the environment because you can't really be healthy without an awareness of your interrelationship with the environment. Yeah, there was a great quote that I came across. I was in a beautiful massage parlor in Bali. And in the room, once I was done with this massage, I looked at it and it said, in order to bring peace to the world, strive first to make your own life peaceful. And I I think it's a quote from the Buddha, but I thought, wow, that's very well put. 
So I would continue still to forward the idea that I do believe we have the machinery for photosynthesis uh, and that we're just not using it very effectively. Now, not necessarily to photosynthesize in the typical sense of producing sugars, but to use light energy to generate or convert it into useful energy in our cells. And I would also add that to your point of the solar plexus, the car analogy is magnificent because although sunlight doesn't necessarily affect the cars, the light from the sun can and the mitochondria and the, well, the mitochondria are the centerpiece of metabolism for burning through our fuel. And these are powered by light. So it does make a lot of sense where, for example, just as you need functional spark plugs and a functional ignition system in an engine to burn through the fuel, we do need full spectrum sunlight exposure in order to ensure that we can optimally utilize the fuel that we're consuming. Yes. To have an internal combustion engine run, you have to have three things, ignition, compression, and fuel. Ignition we're talking about, so it's, it's basically the Krebs cycle. And um, compression basically requires air, right? So that's breathing. A car breathes. That's what an intake system is. That's what the carburation or the fuel injection system does. It's the breathing system. And the fuel, and fuel. the fuel in a car is simply gasoline or some engines diesel. But in us, the fuel is the food we eat. And one of the things that I wanted to share based on your previous comments is that if we only look at it from a perspective of light, we can miss out a lot of things because each plant produces key hormones and key vitamins, minerals, enzymes, phenolics, terpenes, alkaloids, fats, proteins, and carbohydrates. And Royal Lee showed that a vitamin complex is not something that works in isolation from any of those components. The analogy he gives is what part of a watch tells time, the whole thing. You take sweep hands off, you can't tell time. You remove one part out of the watch, it won't tell time. So the point that I'm driving at, and Arden Anderson shows in his book, Science and Agriculture, that if you study the root spaces, which is called the rhizosphere of plants, you can find every single hormone that's in the human body in the root space of plants. So what I'm driving at is that light is not just light. In other words, even if a person could photosynthesize light, that does not mean they would have the technology to produce the key vitamins and hormones that the body needs because the body is a product of nature and is fused to nature. So if we're not careful, the discussion keeps pushing people out of nature. And well, we, I don't mean to do that. <laughs> it's all meant to push people back into nature. Yes, I'm just trying to point out that we, if we look at this holistically, we also have to give respect for the fact that we as a living being are a symbiosis of a myriad of living beings, right? What you eat is, is potentially alive, right? If you're eating real food, it's alive. So when you bring something into your body, it affects your psyche. This is why alcohol is called spirits. When you distill alcohol, you get rid of everything except one component, and it's a very strong spirit and it can affect your psyche very, very strongly, right? And when you smoke marijuana, it changes the way you see the world. When you eat mushrooms, it changes the way you see the world because you're bringing in the spiritual force or the intelligence, the information and energy flow that gives that unique being its uniqueness. 
its mushroomness or its broccoliness or its asparagus uh, qualities or its uh, melon qualities or its bean qualities, etc. So each of these ways of converting light is unique because it offers each of us something that we need based on our unique genetics, which is why the system that I teach for diet is so critical because no person can exist on a given diet because the body's far too dynamic. And depending on what kind of physical, emotional, or mental, or environmental stressors you're under, you need, your genes will regulate because the epigenetic influences will change gene regulation. So one day you could be hungry as hell for meat like I am after a rock lifting session or a deadlift session. But then on days off, especially if I take two days off, I can go vegetarian and feel absolutely fine because the epigenetic environment has different demands on a rest day than it does on a heavy lifting day. And so you see, I can get by without what the animal produces as a unique product by taking light from plants and converting it into flesh, etc. But on other days, I need other beings to contribute to my existence. And getting healthy means regaining enough contact of your own instincts to let the wisdom of your cells or what's classically called the subconscious direct you because that part of you is not influenced by intellectual ideas or the ego. It's driven by the truth of nature itself, which is self-sustaining and self-supporting and complementary to itself, um, which another problem is, is people got so caught in the ideas of Darwinian evolution of the you know, that the, only the fittest survive and it's all a big battle out there, but they completely overlook that there's uh, complementary uh, op opposition, which means the opposition is to support the complementary of the whole. In other words, wolves eat deer or rabbits to bring balance back, but they don't overeat them. They will migrate when they get to a certain level of population so they're a part of a balancing act. And, and one of the ways that we've gotten ourselves in so much trouble with all the reductionist science is we keep believing we know the answers when we get to the Krebs cycle or we get to this hormone or that hormone. This is why you, you see doctors touting, oh, you got to get lectins out of your diet and that's the magic pill or you got to take vitamin D, that's the magic pill. I mean, the airways and the internet are just chock-a-block with all this you know, biohacking type concepts, just eat this and take this pill and you'll be fine. But none of those things are, are actually true in and of themselves because the system's far more holistic than that and far more dynamic than that. You know, turmeric's really, really hot now. There's a lot of scientific research on it, but they're not all created the same. So I brought Autumn Smith on to tell you about Paleo Valley's turmeric complex so you know exactly what the benefits are and why you, like me, should get your turmeric complex from Paleo Valley. Autumn, tell us about your turmeric complex. At Paleo Valley, we are big believers in food as medicine. And so turmeric, of course, it 
has beat drugs out. We know it's anti-inflammatory. We know it has brain benefits. We know it has joint benefits. But what most people don't know is that a lot of turmeric supplements only contain one isolated compound of turmeric called curcumin. And so what we did instead was create a complex. We added organic turmeric and then ginger and rosemary and clove, which were some of the most DNA protective spices studied. And we created a complex. We added organic coconut powder and pepper for absorption. And so we've created a really high quality, highly bioavailable turmeric complex that will hopefully help you to feel your best. And all you have to do to check it out is go to paleovalley.com. That's P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com. And you can use the code CHECK15, that's lowercase C-H-E-K-15 to save 15%. I was curious though, what are some of the basics of light that most people don't know but need to know, whether it be vitamin D production or circadian regulation. One of the questions I had was there, are you familiar with the concept of cryptochrome cells? Yes. Yeah. I read the book called The Body Clock years ago, and it talked about cryptochrome cells. And they talked about how uh, it might not have been that book because I've done a couple of university courses on sleep based on current research. But they found that when people are sound asleep in sleep labs, which are completely pitch black, all they've got to do is take a laser pointer and they can point it at their toe and it'll wake them up every time. And they showed that cryptochrome cells are capturing the photons and delivering them to the hypothalamus and the um, reticular activating system. And it triggers an elevation of cortisol levels and wakes the person up. So there's uh, obviously um, the skin is, is, is uh, let's say the skin's covered in little tiny eyes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, there's a lot of things that came up in my mind when you were explaining this view. And I would not want to bring people to a reductionist viewpoint that even light, even though I do believe it is one of the more foundational pieces of the picture and very important for people to know about, I wouldn't want to dissuade anyone from you know, looking at things with a holistic viewpoint, there is also very good evidence with that being said, that we are able to create in a sense, or at least synthesize certain important hormones, neurotransmitters, and so on with light, you know, Mm -hmm. not that we can necessarily make them from scratch, but that we require light energy naturally from the sun. Yeah. It's a key ingredient in the recipe. Exactly. It's an ingredient in the recipe. So yeah, that's kind of a, a very important idea. So actually, that's a great way to start with your next question. What is the sun actually doing for us? What are some of the things that light can do to help us become optimized? I like to start with the circadian rhythm as far as how light influences our body. We touched earlier on how light is the primary source of energy for life on earth, whether it's via photosynthesis or directly you know, in our earlier stages of evolution, before we consumed entire other organisms, we still were utilizing light energy. You know, the ancestors of mitochondria and chloroplasts and so on are bacteria that were utilizing light in their process of energy production. But, you know, instead of consuming a whole banana or this or that, they were consuming gases and other fuel sources in that process of energy production. So light's always been here and it has helped to drive evolution or one could say has driven or pushed evolution forward as a, as a force. 
And so the circadian rhythm is a very natural concept that people intuitively relate to. You know, circadian in Latin comes from circa, which means approximately, and dies, which means a day. And it was named such because the first researchers to discover these cyclical patterns in organisms, which have now been found in literally every single living organism, even the simplest ones, follow the length of approximately a day, approximately 24 hours. And so Mm That's almost a natural thing for us to understand because what is what does 24 hours mean? It means one period of full light and full darkness yes. anywhere on earth. You had another question that was interesting about that as well. We'll get to about why every part of the earth receives the same amount of light throughout yeah. a year. Yeah. So anyhow, the, the general concept being that any organism that is more able to adapt to and flow with, you might say, its environment is going to be able to survive and sort of carry on this progression. You know, there are different theories on why life exists, how it exists. Um, Physicists like Schrodinger had their theories of of how life is working. What is life? He had a great book on the subject. What is life? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I got it. I've read it. So whatever the belief may be, having a health or having a circadian rhythm allowed us to do that. A, a good way to put it is thinking of, for example, for example, an orchestra. If you have a bunch of individual processes or an individual musicians playing, it might sound nice. It might, they might be able to carry things out nicely, but if you're putting them all together and they need to work together, you talk a lot about how we are a system and there's systems, cybernetic with, system, yeah. there are systems within us. So in a cybernetic system where certain processes are dependent on other processes. You know, the reactants of one process turn into the substrates, or I should say, you know, the end product of another reaction, which feeds to be the beginning of the next reaction. And so timing is essential. And so if you had, for example, this orchestra, a great orchestra, but no conductor, it's probably not going to sound very good. In fact, whereas the individuals might sound amazing by themselves altogether, all of the waves rather than harmonizing will be clashing and sound very displeasurable, potentially even painful to listen to. You get destructive interference. Yes. And, and therefore, we need this timing to keep all of our systems in harmony. And so all of us organisms have circadian rhythms. And naturally, being that the circadian rhythms are a timekeeper, a marker of the environmental shift of light and dark, which one period of light and dark, of course, makes one day or that 24-hour cycle, what we call a day, is a perfect place to start. And light is the driver. And so that's why circadian rhythms are set by light. They're set by light from the sun. And so in us, you know, the particularly the blue light wavelengths increase in the morning. And so that stimulates, just as in these sleep studies, the production of cortisol, and basically wakes us up and starts our circadian rhythm. And it's complex because there's a circadian rhythm in our master clock in the brain and the Mm -hmm. suprachiasmatic nucleus, which ideally is synced with everything else. Mm -hmm. But our organs also follow their circadian rhythms and all of our cells follow circadian rhythms. There's good evidence that every gene is linked to a clock gene. So all genetic expression and production of proteins is all linked to our circadian rhythms in those tissues and cells and so on. Our mitochondria follow circadian rhythms, so we want them all to be synced up. And when we're exposed to sunlight and we're living aligned with nature, 
which would have been the only option before a certain time in the last 5,000 years. Well, really, when humans started wearing wearing clothes, that was sort of a covering of our skin, which Mm -hmm. is problematic in many ways, which you probably have theories on this. I think clothing, because it's an interesting thing that we do. I imagine it's linked to sort of the subjugation of, of our species to make us more docile and easy to control by covering our solar panels and particularly covering our reproductive organs where there's good evidence that sunlight exposure on, for example, man's testicles increase testosterone production. So to me, this is just my own theory, but the covering of that area would have allowed for a much more docile and controllable populace, not even that it was part of the plan, but that it was just something that humans sort of maybe realized even in tribes when we're wearing loincloths, or maybe it was just to, you know, subjugate our animal instincts so that people could function more effectively as a unit. I couldn't say exactly why that would be, but it's an interesting thought. But anyhow, this transition to that indoor life, to the indoor lifestyle we're in now, really in the last 150 years, especially with the advent of electric lighting, has allowed us to disrupt our natural circadian rhythms, which again, the point was we couldn't do in nature because if you're grounded to the earth, even if you're not watching the sunrise, you know, practicing sun gazing, which the ancient people in India and other cultures found to be a amazing way to stimulate the circadian rhythm. They didn't even necessarily know the term circadian rhythm. Well, the the sun gazing uh, actually comes out of Egypt. Okay. And it was used by the Egyptian priests and it was taught as a form of not only good health, but spiritual development, which I won't get too deep into that because it would well, be a we long can. story, but it's, um, we'd, we'd have to get into metaphysics again, but I'd love you to touch on that actually. If, well, I, d- yeah. I did it. You see, uh, is there another podcast listeners could refer to maybe, or no, one of your I don't books? have one on that. I, I can give a brief summary though. Um, I think I was 46, I can't remember, but my soul told me to stop eating meat and eggs and fish, just pure vegetarian. And so I was like, are you sure you want me to do that? Because I am not a carbo type person. You know, I'm a protein type in metabolic typing. I normally run well on about 75% animal food and 25% plant food. And my Genetic ancestry comes from uh, Alsace-Lorraine, which is between France and Germany. That's the biggest percentage on my grandfather's side and even on my mother's side. Um, In other words, all my ancestors come from places where the ground freezes in the winter, which means you can't live on plant food with those types of genes because plants don't grow in ice. So that's one of the things people don't realize with all these crazy-ass diets is if you don't look at what your genes are – formed by they're formed by the environment and so they're basically a system of interfacing you with that environment as you you if you want to mess an eskimo up just give them a bunch of pineapple yeah i'm glad you bring this up that's very interesting so the point is is that my soul told me to stop eating meat i i i said for how long and the answer was until i tell you to eat meat again And so every single day, because I started getting hungry for meat within about one week, like uncomfortable because I'm still training and lifting weights. And, you know, the first, I think the first two months I lost 24, 26 pounds of muscle. So I'm watching myself shrink down. Interestingly, I could lift just as heavy a weight, but I couldn't do as much volume or I would start uh, traumatizing my ligament system. I didn't have enough muscle mass to 
distribute the load. So the ligaments started having to take up for it. But so I did have to adapt my training, but then my soul told me, I want you to go to work. I want you to get up and go to work every morning at three 30 in the morning. And so, um, I would go to work and then my soul would guide me. And I began having a lot of very profound experiences because one of the thing that the vegetarianism did was it greatly amplified my clairvoyance, clairsentience, clairaudience. So all my voyances, in other words, when I was a vegetarian, I could read people's energy fields. Like I'm looking at you wearing that shirt right now because my clairvoyance was so amplified, which is why a lot of spiritual traditions encourage vegetarianism. Because once you get the animal flesh out of the system, we harmonize to a higher frequency because the animal flesh is quite dense. Steiner gives explanations, which I won't give right now because it'll take a long time and it'd be another whole discussion. But when my soul told me to go vegetarian, my soul said, you need to start. I had studied Egyptian sun gazing. So my soul said, you need to start doing Egyptian sun gazing. So you need an hour in the morning and an hour at night. So the first hour of sunrise and the last hour of sunset which was very stressful for me because to put that much time in with the schedule that I have, and I'm already getting up super early in the morning. I'm like, how in the hell am I going to do that? So I said that to my soul. My soul says, just do the best you can do. But I pretty consistently got at least the first hour of sunlight every day. And what happened is I began having very profound spiritual experiences relate in relationship to the sun but I also begin having um, visitations from spiritual beings from other dimensions that came and taught me all sorts of stuff, you know, and in my office, I had all my healing tools from crystals and healing wands to rattles, to drums, to Tibetan bowls. And so spontaneously, I never knew who would show up. Some being would show up and say, okay, today I'm going to teach you how to use a Tibetan bowl for healing, or today we're going to learn uh, healing songs. And so I'd be taught these songs and, and I'd be rattling or I'd be drumming. So for a whole year while this was going on, I was doing also doing sun gazing. And a very interesting thing happened, which is something that I wanted to tell you about earlier, but we were too busy. And, and so I didn't think it would come up today, but it, it must be meant to come up for all, all of you listening and for you particularly, because I really want to give this gift to you. I think that's the sole contract I have with you. Hi, everyone. I'm super excited to tell you about my one of my favorite Symbiotica products. I love them all, but actually Nexus is the Nexus. It's the vector point. It's powerful. It's synergistic. This is beyond biohacking. This is biosynergy. And I wanted Shervin, the formulator of the product, to tell us exactly what we get when we take Nexus and why we should use it. So, Shervin, tell us about Nexus. Well, Nexus is the center point. We know that. And this is the center point of Symbiotica. This is our revolutionary anti-inflammatory product that spans everything in terms of human consciousness and bioavailability. We all know about CBD right now. It was a big race to the market and everyone was getting on top of CBD, but this is full spectrum cannabinoids, CO2 extracted, organic, coming from one of the top farms in the world I hand selected. And here's something really special about Nexus. Most CBD products, or actually all CBD products that are in liquid form, are suspended in MCT oil, which is fractionated coconut oil, right. which is a medium chain triglyceride. Now, that's a good transport delivery system. But interesting enough, 
our endocannabinoid system, where these cannabinoids plug into, is made and constructed with DHA, docosahexaenoic acid. We took our algae heirloom strain, extracted DHA, and combined it with full-spectrum cannabinoids, cannabinoids, excuse me. We added tetrahydrocurcumin, the most bioavailable form of curcumin in the world, and we also added You ready for this? Boswellia sacra, otherwise known as frankincense. When you combine all these, you get a super anti-inflammatory agent. And in there, you have phosphatidylcholine, you have lemon terpenes. It's delicious. All of my athletes are on it. There's even a little bit of THC in there. I'm just going to let you know, I believe in the entourage effect. I want these things to work. This isn't something I'm putting on the store somewhere. This is something something that's going directly to your home, in your house. Everybody should have access to this type of alchemy. So not only is it anti-inflammatory, it's actually going to have a positive mood regulating effect. Exactly. It's cell retrograding. It takes you back to homeostasis. Whenever you're in stress, whenever you have a fever, whenever there's pain, this is a balancer. It brings you back to the level of where you're supposed to be at. Yes. So if you're not familiar with the word homeostasis, it means balance. So go to symbiotica, C-Y-M-B-I-O-T-I-K-A.com and on checkout to get your nexus Use the code capital C, capital H, capital E, capital K15. That's CHECK15 in all caps. And remember, your discount is across the board. So check out Symbiotica's amazing products. I've tried them all. I use them all. I love them all. Or I wouldn't even dare sell them to you because that would go completely against my values. And not only are Nexus uh, is Nexus a very good product and all their products very good, but they're all made with synergistic products. It's the opposite of allopathy. This is the opposite of biohacking. This is biosynergy at its finest, which is why I love Symbiotica, and I know you will too. Enjoy. Symbiotica.com, check 15. Check it out. Live it, love it, share your feedback. When I sun gaze, I empty my mind, just like you would do in meditation. Right, you just you 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 don't get caught in your thoughts. You just witness them, but you detach. And I've been doing Tai Chi for many many years and meditation, so I'm pretty good at just letting the mind go. So I'm sun gazing, and I begin to have experiences of this being talking to me, and it really quite freaked me out at first because I've studied the history of Christianity and Jesus Christ quite extensively. Um, for a number of reasons, but I had serious doubts after all my research that Jesus was actually a, a man like like people think he is. And so <laughs> I met the spirit of the sun, shall we say, the, the consciousness that resides in the sun as a living organism that's driving the intelligence to our planet through light and other forces. And there's a couple things I want to tell you. And, and one is that I said to him, because he looked just like a Middle Eastern Jesus. If you took all the images of Jesus and gave him Middle Eastern skin tones. So the first thing I thought is, oh my God, all these years I've been researching Jesus and thought Jesus wasn't real. It was a myth. And here's this man. <laughs> so the first thing I thought is, shit, I've been wrong the whole time. So I said to him, are you Jesus Christ? And he said, yes, I am. But then I said, are you Lao Tzu? Yes, I am. So what I learned is that the consciousness of the sun is the logos that is really the 
shall we say, the brain or the nerve center in our galaxy that is connected to the solar chain of our planetary chain. So all the planets in our chain, which are like organs in the body of the sun. And the earth is an organ in the sun that houses the life that you and I are experiencing right now, what we refer to as nature, but nature extends itself through the cosmos. So that was fascinating. And it was, then I said to this being that was talking to me, what is your name? What do I refer to you as? And he said, my name is Umbakara. I asked him to spell it for me. U-M-B-K-A-R-A. So I said, I'm just curious, are there any books in my library that talk about you? And he said, yes, there is. I said, will you show me where that book is? I said to my soul, can you guide me to what Umbakara is talking about? Yes. That very morning, I walked out of the alley where I was doing my, because I used to have to do my my sun gazing in an alley um, where the sun would come up because our, our institute was in a business park at that time. And if I did it out in the parking lot, there was just cars driving by and it was just a terrible place to get empty. So I would go stand in the alley where the sun would come up and hit me. I was standing right by the dumpsters. So I was doing my spiritual practice next to stinky dumpsters because it was the best place. And so my soul walked me right into my library, took me right to the shelf and took me right to the book. And I opened the book to the exact page my soul said and right there in bold letters, Umbakara, the spirit of the sun. And it described exactly what that being was. And I about shit myself. I'm like, oh my God. Because I was worried, you know, as when you get information like this from these spiritual sources, the rational, logical, enculturated part of you thinks, okay, I'm hallucinating. I got to make sure I'm not hallucinating. And so once that happened, I realized I was actually talking. And of course, I'd studied a lot of Egyptian work and I've studied the Law of One by Ra, which is phenomenal for those of you that haven't studied the Law of One series. And all of these things correlated right down the pipe. And so um, Umbakara uh, began teaching me and guiding me. And that, that's been going on now. And I'm, I'll be 59 in a couple of weeks. So 46, 56. 13 years I've been interacting with the soul, the spirit, I call it the soul of the sun, the spirit of the sun, and been getting guided on all sorts of things. And, and really, you know, it's the kind of things I talk to my soul about, but sometimes I like to talk to the spirit of the sun, but all this unfolded through Egyptian sun gazing. And I had many, many other profound experiences that I won't go into right now, but um, the reason I wanted to tell you that is because um, I have an intuitive knowing that you're supposed to do this because you're a light being and you're being drawn to this research because it's part of your path. And there's going to be a lot of things passed on to you through this practice of Egyptian sun gazing, because I'm inspiring you to empty yourself and allow what's meant to come into you to come into you without judging it or questioning it. And when it happens, begin talking to that being directly and ask any question you want and see what happens. But to get to that place, you have to empty yourself of any limiting beliefs and you've got to empty yourself of any uh, thought processes that stop you because you have to go into full intuitive mode. And this is why shaman do the practice called emptying the bone. Because if I carry any of my problems into a healing ceremony, then everything that's happening is coming through my own problems. So I'm actually 
impregnating you with my own pathology. So you can't get clean information like that if your mind has a bunch of biases to it. And the ego really resents that because the ego likes to think it can control everything. But when you come into contact with a being like that, it can turn all your knowledge upside down <laughs> and show you that everything you thought was right was, isn't right or a lot of it. And so it, it, I've had so many of these complete turnarounds in my understanding by interacting with these beings in other dimensions. And um, so I learned a lot about light and uh the sun actually showed me how DNA was made and many other things. And it was quite fascinating because one day I was watching Gaia television and I can't remember who it was, was giving a presentation, but they were talking about current research. Oh, it was Greg Braden. I don't know if you've ever seen his show, but he showed something wild on there, which is part of this conversation. So I'll share it. He showed that when scientists take a vacuum, create a vacuum, suck all the air out of a glass container, and then they monitor the photons with a photon counter, which is what Fritz Albert Pop originally invented, that photons pop out of a vacuum spontaneously and randomly, but there's no order to them. Then they did something quite ingenious. They took a strand of human DNA and put it in the vacuum, and guess what happened? All the photons organized themselves in exactly the pattern of the DNA and begin to spiral just like DNA. And so what they showed is that the DNA is in some way some kind of cosmic antenna that's tuning into the zero-point field and causing photons to be attracted, and basically the question mark is what's creating what is dna attracting the light and using the light to manifest the human body based on the genetic code or is dna made of light my soul took me into an experience that showed me that light is actually making dna and what i was given was visions and what i saw is photons emerging from the sun and some of them carried a paramagnetic charge and some of them carried a diamagnetic charge and they were attracted to each other and they begin to spin. And the first thought I had, have you ever seen a whirling dervish? They look just like whirling dervishes. And then there would be like a ray of light, almost like light coming through a prism. And they would emit these rays of light and couple with each other and start spinning in tandem and they would start coupling themselves together. And when that information was transferred into living substances on earth, such as primordial cells and things like that, it would inform and actually help build the DNA structure because the sun is driving the energy and information that's informing life on this planet. So that's a metaphysical explanation. But when I saw Greg Braden's presentation, I was shocked because it's exactly what I saw in the vision that my soul gave me and while I was sun gazing. So there's a little segue for you. That's a very deep explanation of sun gazing, and I am glad you shared that. Well, I shared it with you because when I first heard you on the uh, podcast I mentioned, I have a very strong sense you're here for a reason and you're here to really open up some new avenues for, for all of us. Um, 
to me, for me to be listening to an 18 or 19 year old kid with the depth of knowledge and understanding you had, you're what I call a, uh, you know, there's indigo kids, crystal children. Um, and there's a whole, and my children, as I told you, there's a lot of souls coming into the earth plane right now to help us get past a lot of these program beliefs and behaviors that are limiting us and destroying our chances of survival as we're destroying the environment. And so I really had this very profound sense that you are one of those people that's come here to do that. And it's people like me and Jack Cruz and Zach Bush and all these other guys that will touch you in the right place to activate the knowledge that you already carry, but you've come here to remember. And so I felt today while we were stacking rocks, that at some point I've got to talk to him about sun gazing and, and let him know he really ought to consider engaging that practice for a good year. I have been, uh, but not as consistently as I'd like to. So it, it is something that I, I recommend highly mm -hmm. because of the circadian effects. I do it pretty much every morning and evening. Yeah. Uh, I do not focus on clearing my mind necessarily. Often yeah. I'm engaged in conversation or engaging my thoughts. Yeah. If you want to get what you're supposed to get, in my opinion, this is just my opinion, so you can blow your nose with it or whatever, but... Um, I wouldn't do that. <laughs> well, you know, I'm just saying, I don't expect anybody to believe me. I mean, I, I, I say a lot of things out there that are wild for people, but it's, you know, as people grow and evolve themselves, they come to realize that stuff that they thought was absolutely ridiculous turns out to be absolutely terribly true. <laughs> so you have to go on your own journey. But as I say to my students all the time, don't believe a word I say, but test it. Because otherwise, you're playing a very dangerous game with yourself. And so what I would say to you is, if you really want to learn what the sun can teach you, then make it a spiritual practice and do it in isolation and do it with the sole intention of really committing yourself to see what is going on with light. What is it really? And what is the reason that someone's come into your life who has some knowledge and some experience to encourage you to do this because I think within about three months, things are going to start happening that are going to probably blow your mind, but uh, it'll, it'll take some commitment from you to really, I think if you get at least one hour a day, but it has to be in the first and last hour of sunlight or your eyes are going to get hurt by it. And you need to be grounded with bare feet to connect to the earth. I always do that. Yeah. It's part of the practice, part of the light diet already. Yeah. So was there anything else you well, wanted to say? Well, we were just thinking through or talking through really the basic concepts of how light affects the body. So the circadian rhythm was one, is one, and yes. that's where sun gazing came from of our discussion here. Others, you mentioned vitamin D synthesis. I would start more with the effects of infrared light. We already you know, alluded to this in the discussion of how cold exposure positively affects us because it increases our own you know, internal production of infrared light as mm -hmm. Wim Hof, who I'm sure, you know, calls in his inner fire or our inner fire. It couldn't be more fitting of a name he uses for his business and what he teaches because we're literally activating inner internal combustion. You know, the mitochondria are just like a car engine, a combustion engine. Cause again, just like a car engine, we're using and you know oxygen well you said fuel ignition compression ignition, fuel compression and fuel so 
in the mitochondria. And I, I speak about this often in, on podcasts because people relate to the analogy with the car and people can relate to fire because mm-hmm. that you can see it and feel it. But even though we can't necessarily see and feel what's happening inside of us, although I'm sure you well, argue you can. we can. You can. I can. I mean, if you practice what I'm teaching you, you'll you'll have all sorts of things happen. Many of my students that have followed my advice and, and stuck with the practice that I gave them for a year or more have called me or written me letters going, oh my God, I can't believe what's happening to me. I need your help. My clairvoyance is so strong that now I don't know how to handle it because it's like I'm living in a million lives at once. And so I have to teach them how to learn to control that so it doesn't just take them over. But uh, the point I'm getting at is is when you learn how to use your uh, spiritual capacity for voyances, which are the powers of the subtle energy body. See, we're still trapped down in the physical. You can't see it if your eyes can't see it. That's materialistic viewpoints. But um, when you learn to use these abilities, you can look into anything. You can look into matter. You can look into atoms. You can, and this is how all the ancients. I mean, uh, who was the guy that came up with the concept of the atom first? It was in ancient Greece, you know, like 400 BC or something like that. Well, I could show you in my library like a hundred type things like that that later turned out to be scientifically validated. And uh, what, what quantum physicists were finding all the time is that what mystics were saying was true, but they're figuring out through advanced science and mathematical equations what they could have just found out by listening to guys that were walking this planet thousands of years ago where they had none of that equipment, but they had more advanced equipment called themselves. And so, and Steiner makes it very clear that that the every technology we built outside of us is a copy of some superior technology within us. So his question is, will we realize that before we destroy the world? And so um, the point is, yes, when you do use your voyances, you can look into anything. And, and I've got some great books in my library documenting that. In fact, um, I've got a book that shows that clairvoyants were actually t- able to identify the atomic structure of elements in the periodic table that had not been uh, identified yet and drew them exactly before they were identified. And only later scientists realized that these people had done this and were shocked at it. But when they came up with this, one of them was C.W. Ledbetter, another one I think was Madame Blavatsky. They were all scorned and told they were idiots and everything else. But this is why uh, Einstein says, uh, great minds are always met with violent opposition from mediocre minds. It's just a human nature to kill anybody that uh, breaks their paradigm. And uh, you can always tell who the pioneers are because they have arrows in their backs. So we were, you were talking there about the well infrared light and how it drives combustion in our engines. So that's a really important piece of how the sun affects our body. Additionally to it, specifically, I was referring to the engines and how what we are doing, like Wim Hof teaches is cultivating our inner fire because we are reacting just like gasoline is a hydrogen based organic fuel source from you know, ancient fossil fuels or Mm -hmm. fossils, you know, previously living organisms, the energy in gasoline is still coming from the sun, even if it was thousands or millions of years ago. So we're eating a much more recent form of fuel, like a plant or an animal, which is again, a hydrogen based fuel source. And we're reacting with oxygen in our mitochondria, just like a car 
reacts that hydrogen fuel source with oxygen in its engine. So it's a very cool uh, interplay that's happening, but infrared light is one of the components of sunlight that really optimizes that process. So our mitochondria, you know, whether they started with this ability or not, have developed and been optimized to work with the full spectrum of infrared light, red and infrared light, near and far, especially near infrared, from the sun. And so there's good evidence, and this relates to what we already touched on from breatharians and so on, that we can actually utilize that light energy to make ATP without needing any food consumption. And that's a very, very powerful concept. And something Dr. Cruz touches on, which again, I find very interesting and sort of offers one potential mechanism for people who don't need to eat as much or don't need to eat at all when they're in the sun is that in addition to this red and infrared story, ultraviolet induces nitric oxide in the body and that inhibits energy production in the mitochondria at cytochrome C oxidase. So in effect, it's slowing down the flow of electrons coming from food and allowing for the electrons, or I should say the energy and ATP to be produced from light alone. So again, I'm not advocating that people stop eating, but in a sense, sunlight is sort of our natural calorie restriction. You know, people talk about how, especially in the health world, if you consume fewer calories, generally that's associated with increased lifespan. And for some people to just consume fewer calories, it feels like some sort of deprivation or it's really hard. I find when I'm in the sun, I am just not really hungry. The meal we had uh, today and you know, for lunch was effectively besides the, the snack I had earlier, pretty much the only meal I'll have for the day. I mean, I should say I might engage in eating later because I with family or friends. But in general, I find it pretty easy to just go with one meal because I'm not that hungry, especially in the summer when I'm spending time in sunlight. So the secret is to listen to your body. People get in in trouble when they don't eat because they're on some diet plan, but their body is not uh, harmonized well enough to handle that, or it's not efficient enough. Really what you're describing is an efficient metabolism. And uh, most people's body, I mean, you know, it takes a lot more energy uh, for an orchestra to be out of tune than it does to be in tune. It's chaos, right? So in, in, in chaos, there's a, a lot of um, hidden variables that are acting on the environment. But in harmony, you know, when, when, we're, when our body's in harmony, then we don't have to manage so many hidden variables because everything's moving in a flow. It's all basically moving in, in the same direction with the same objective, which is to be vital and to be healthy and to be creative and to be loving and to be um, um, balanced in your use of masculine and feminine polarities and, and to uh, see the world as it really is, not as we imagine it to be, so to speak. Um, so I think those are all beautiful concepts. Uh, uh, did you finish? Because I had a question. I wanted to uh, ask you something or share something with you. Well, I would move on from here into vitamin D, for example. Oh, that's what I was going to ask you about. So that's, uh, and, you know, looking at the solar spectrum, we've touched on how blue affects the circadian rhythm, red and infrared in particular affect mitochondrial function, but other colors do as well. Uh, colors meaning, you know, wavelengths of light that we call colors because we see them in a certain way. But the ultraviolet, which like infrared is the portion at the end of the spectrum that we can't visually see, 
also acts in many ways. So again, thinking of life as this system that's able to utilize energy from the environment and sort of build complexity, not complication, but complexity with that energy and information, which is, you know, conveyed in the light or can be, we would naturally, it would make sense when you have this strong ultraviolet light, which is high, high, high energy, more so than the rest of the spectrum that reaches earth in large quantities. You know, the higher energies, of course, um, the X-ray radiation, gamma rays and so on, those are filtered by the atmosphere Mm -hmm. for the, you know, the vast majority so ultraviolet's the highest energy that's reaching the earth in a huge quantity. So it would make sense that we would utilize that to do some other work in the body. Yeah, because it's part of the environment. Exactly. It's part of the environment. It, it's just like you said, the energy, the environment, the photons, the sun, and so on drive, the d- drive DNA. That is what ultraviolet light is also doing. So, and this will move eventually to how ultraviolet light doesn't cause skin cancer and isn't as bad as, as it's being labeled in the mainstream Western view. But ultraviolet light, I believe, was a huge contributor in driving further complexity on Earth of animal life. And if it weren't for ultraviolet light specifically, life wouldn't be as complex animal life as we, mu- as we know it. Complex animal life might not even exist. So mm-hmm. we, we take advantage of that energy to be complex and some of the functions that we can be acutely aware of uh, just through you know, Western science are, for example, this big one, vitamin D production. So especially we get vitamin D on our skin, but also through our, or I should say, uh, UV light on our skin, also through our eyes, we make vitamin D from you know, the precursors. And the light is what powers those reactions. You know, the, yeah. These precursor part or molecules really, they absorb that light and it helps to speed up the rate of the reactions for them to become what they need to be. And so if we don't get UV light on our skin and our eyes, we aren't able to make a sufficient quantity of vitamin D, no matter how much of the precursors we're consuming, Mm -hmm. unless, you know, of course you're consuming like an Inuit diet where you're consuming a bunch of vitamin D in an active natural form from fish eyes and that kind of thing. But most people aren't doing that. That's how they were able to do it, of course, when they didn't have so much sun a lot of the year. They did for a lot of the year, though, so they were also able to make it in the summer and then store it in their bodies for the winter. And so that's another thing. And there's also, you know, what we talked about earlier, all these other hormones and neurotransmitters. You know, everyone knows you get in the sun and it just makes you feel good. You kind of get a boost. Which is why this whole COVID thing is such a joke telling people to stay inside, mm-hmm. wear a mask. I mean, my God, talk about disinformation campaign. Absolutely. It's just unbelievable. I'm like, what's sad for me and why I go into the depth that I do in these podcasts is I really want a people a chance to get educated, to at least be able to have resources and begin studying and thinking for themselves and asking deeper questions. Or people are just so gullible, they'll listen to any so-called expert and believe it. And this whole COVID thing for me has really been a shocking realization that Ken Wilber's research on the structure stages of consciousness that shows about 70% of the world population is at the level of fundamentalist religion where they won't believe anything outside of their paradigm. And they'll even deny scientific research because it's part of the, uh, it's part of the um, trappings of a belief system and brainwashing. So they're, they're really, uh, without going into belief systems, but basically all belief systems have defense mechanisms in them. And so uh, it was just sad for me to see 
how many people actually are getting and trusting as their primary source of information mainstream media, which is no different than believing that um, Superman is real, right? Just because you saw it on television or that, uh, you know, any number of things you see on television, right? So people are, they're so, um, they're so conditioned to believe anything an authority figure says and our education systems teach people what to think, not how to think. That's why I love a mind like yours because uh, you really function much more like someone who's had my kind of upbringing where you go out and figure it out for yourself. And that's why the old saying, the wounded doctor is always the best doctor because they had to heal themselves. So they actually have a visceral experience of the healing process. They know how hard it can be and how much um, awareness you have to develop and how you actually have to start asking intelligent questions for yourself and questioning beliefs and questioning things that don't make sense to you and continuing until you actually resolve the problem. And then you have authentic knowledge because it's tied to legitimate experience. But, you know, we have people that are just believing everything that's being said, but not to turn this into a COVID conversation because I've talked about that plenty. Uh, I was thinking about your earlier comments with regard to the clothing, but I actually saw a research paper a few years ago, and I can't remember what the exact site or reference was, but they said, I think it was one or two square centimeters of skin in a normal day will be enough to produce the amount of vitamin D that almost anybody needs. So even with your face exposed or your hands exposed uh, in people like uh, you know, up, up north, the Inuits, where they, they're covered up quite heavily because of the cold, the research paper said that you can get plenty of uh, vitamin D with just a couple of centimeters of skin exposure. So I'm curious what you thought about that. Yeah. Uh, well, with the evidence that we are able to utilize our eye for a lot of the production of these things, I wouldn't necessarily be surprised. Although everyone, most people cover their eyes with sunglasses, which I strongly recommend against. And that's one, one of the more shocking things. I'll, if I want to get someone's attention, I'll, I'll tell them, you know, those are really not so good for you, for example. And so really no one is doing that. But if you look at how everyone is vitamin D deficient, or the vast majority, I should say, of our society is vitamin D deficient, and then COVID can easily, you know, if it is real, which is a whole conversation that, you know, some people have yeah. theories about that. But um, what's it, real is, is the story being told. Yeah. That's very real. <laughs> yeah. And so what's, what's not re- really so real is, is the factual aspects of it. Yeah. And so that this virus can create a huge problem when, if we had normally functioning immune systems, or at least even 50% of what they could be, it probably very likely wouldn't be much of an issue at all. No, no more so than a flu bug. Exactly. And so, yeah. And so, we, I would say should not, I wouldn't give too much credence to that or credibility to that, to that. I'd have to review this study myself, so mm-hmm. I can't discount it, of course, but there's an app called D-Minder that people can use and you can actually put in, for example, I was in the sun at this time of day, it'll take the time of day, your location on earth, the UV index, and you pu- put in how much cloud cover there is and how much skin you have exposed and the duration, you can press like start session, end session. And when you have a lot of skin exposed, you make a lot more vitamin D a lot faster. And so 
maybe having your arms exposed alone would be solid if you were outdoors all day, but mm. no one's outdoors all day. And yeah. even then it's still, I would still doubt it, mm-hmm. but um, in nature, you know, we had this whole solar panel. So maybe they're saying this is sufficient for their levels of what is a healthy amount of vitamin D, but it's very likely that those levels are also inadequate for what is possible and available to humans, you know, before we started setting these arbitrary Yeah, and there can be a lot of genetic variants from person to person Well, of course, people with darker skin in general um, are going to have a problem if they're not at an equatorial or tropical latitude because there's generally not enough sun throughout the year, especially the period that isn't the middle of the summer for them to make an adequate amount of vitamin D, someone who's descendant uh, or ancestors come from an equatorial place. So they are naturally designed to have this fantastic protective mechanism for excess ultraviolet light. And I have a question on that though. Dark skin is absorptive of light. Why is it then that people are saying, and you're saying that they need more sunlight than a white skin person because white skin reflects more light than dark skin. So as I understand it, darker skin just simply is that there's more melanin. And so the melanin is absorbing excess ultraviolet light. Okay. And so, and dissipating it to infrared. And so less of that ultraviolet is getting in and activating cholesterol to be turned into vitamin E. So there's, there are studies showing that someone with the darkest skin type to the lightest uh, skin type. So for example, like someone with Eastern African, Somalian, really, really dark skin um, compared to someone with an Irish, you know, freckled type skin, the lightest. (laughs) Yeah. Someone like that. Well, we'll leave the albino person out because the study wasn't on that, but it's about a six, it takes six times longer for the darker skin to make the same amount of vitamin D. So so the dad is I'm glad you answered that. I've had that question in my mind, but I've never had an opportunity to be sitting with someone that might be able to answer it. So thank you. You've just removed one of my questions off my list of about 20 million. Yeah. Yeah. So um, of course, the, the again, the, the darker skin is absorbing the light. The lighter skin is maybe you could say, yeah, reflecting more, but it's a lot more is also getting in. Yeah. I understand what you're saying because the, the more melanin is absorbing what would be used to create a chemical transformation if it wasn't being absorbed exactly by melanin, by melanin. but yeah. also people with lighter skin are much more prone to skin cancer because you can get much more sun. And we could talk about that as well when you want to ask, when we want to get to that question. But basically, you know, I wouldn't argue that excess sunlight exposure could potentially trigger skin cancer. Although the data isn't very strong to support this either. It's really lacking. It's more like this big dogmatic story told by dermatology well, it's a profit-generating story for yeah. sure, just like COVID. <laughs> of course. So, yeah. It, <laughs> just think it how is. many billions of dollars worth of masks have been sold. Yeah. I mean, if you're in the mask business right now, you'd I've be been thinking about rich. that. You still, you could start a. Ma- I've been thinking about like, well, it wouldn't be good based on what we're talking about. But if you started a mask business now, you'd still be doing pretty well. Oh, damn right. Even even though it's a bit late. Do you know unquote. that the first year of the AIDS epidemic, the AIDS scare? which was probably before you were too old. Also led by Fauci, interestingly enough. Yes, exactly. And so there was a doctor named Dr. Robert Strecker, whose work I studied on that, and he's a very genius doctor. And, and, you know, so what they kept telling people to do was wear condoms, wear condoms. 
the condom industry had $6 billion increase in sales in one year due to all the marketing by companies saying you can get AIDS, wear a condom. And Robert Strecker in, in his video that I watched, which he produced, and, and I got it directly from uh, him, from his company. He said, let me tell you how ridiculous that is. He said, the average pores in a high quality latex condom are, I think he said, uh, seven to 14 microns. The AIDS virus on average is four microns in diameter. So he said, this is what that's like. So he took uh, like a sieve, you know, like for like uh, when you when you take the water out of spaghetti and you pour it into the screen. You with me? Yes. And he cut the screen out and then he took a, a little gun that shoots ping pong balls, which represented sperm. He goes, here's the pores in a latex condom and here's the, the virus. And he shot these ping pong balls yes. through and he said, this is like completely and utterly ridiculous. He said, but watch and see how much money they make off telling you that. Well, it's fun. I, I drifted into a uh, picture in my head of uh, a chain link fence for blocking mosquitoes because that's oh, about the sunlight. same effect. <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's about the same effect uh, from again some research on masks that it's kind of like trying to stop a mosquito with a chain link fence. Yes. but the magnitude is even more off base. It's more like stopping a bacteria with a chain link fence. Yes. Anyhow, so it's very very disproportionate, but that's an f- interesting discussion that again, like you mentioned, you've you've spoken to several times. So, so vitamin D is, is essential and ultraviolet light powers other, a lot of other neurotransmitters, again, serotonin, the production of melatonin, which comes from serotonin, um, things like dopamine, other interesting, uh, chemicals in, in our body, such as beta endorphin, which is our kind of natural opiate in the body. We could say like a Mm painkiller that is also stimulated by exposure to sunlight And so one big problem that is not looked at a lot, I don't think I wasn't very aware of until reading more of, for example, someone like Dr. Cruz making this connection, but there is a huge epidemic of people using opioids or opioids, you know, in the country. It's a massive problem. Exactly. And yet we have an internal system when we're exposed to sunlight to create our own. And so it kind of makes sense. You go to this deficient, you're basically deficient in the thing that we, you know, evolved with to produce these chemicals to allow us to function at the level we're functioning at, as we discussed earlier, doing a lot of movement and hard exercise and, and anything else, uh, or even working like a stressful job. And we're not taking advantage of that anymore. So everyone's looking for, you know, intuitively in a way, although maybe you'd argue they're not following in intuition, but they're being pulled to these drugs because they, they actually kind of need them based on where they're at, you know? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I could go all sorts of crazy on that one, but, uh, I have so many other amazing things I want to talk. Yeah. So that's, that, that was, I'd say all of that, you know, between the red ultraviolet, um, infrared and blue light really does cover, I'd say pretty well, some of the main things that are well known about that sunlight does in the body. And to close it off, I'd say it's kind of like a full spectrum multivitamin in in the sky Mm -hmm. that, you know, everyone knows you, you need your vitamins, your minerals, but what I hope would be known by the end of my life would be that the sun is also like a multivitamin essentially, and that we do need those wavelengths to power these different functions. Yeah. And if we don't have them, we are going to be deficient, but mm-hmm. all these issues we're facing are being accepted as normal because everyone almost has the same issues, faces the same, maybe it's depression, anxiety, lack of a sense of well-being. 
So this has been something very fascinating to me. Yeah, and there's there's also, as you were mentioning, so many links to our biochemistry uh, because of sun and all these various pathways that it's sort of like a key catalyst for so many things in the body. Yeah. It's almost like you know, wearing a mask and suffocating yourself to not be in the sun. It's like another form of suffocation. Yeah. Well, especially like, well, contact lenses on the eye suffocate the cornea from getting proper oxygen supply, putting aside the fact that they inhibit proper uh, transmission of ultraviolet Mm. through the eye, but it is like a plastic bag over your head that you can just get enough air. And so people who wear contacts and a lot of people listening to this wear contacts because almost everyone who's wearing glasses now is transitioning to contacts their vision gets worse and worse and worse and worse because imagine the mitochondria in the eye being the engine. They're being deprived of their compression and of their ignition system by yeah. being deprived of the light and the oxygen. And well, yeah, that's, it's a pretty big issue. I would say um, you, you put it really nicely saying that because to sum that up again, mitochondria are like a rising tide that lifts all boats, you know, yeah. or the falling tide that lowers all boats when we optimize them because per let's say there's there's different interpretations but 20 50 100 trillion human cells there's about a thousand mitochondria per cell and so because they're bacteria and you can fit so many in one cell and so they in, in fact i read a statistic that they do make up about 30 percent of our volume by weight you have know, you read the book regenerate by sayer g i've not oh it's loaded with great information on the mitochondria and Awesome. Gives, I'll add it to the list. Gives actual scientific, uh, factual information on how much energy the mitochondria produces, and and it shows how much energy is in the human body, and it's mind blowing. Yes, it's pretty cool. So we can increase the tide throughout our entire body because every single cell, except red blood cells, maybe another, um, but all have mitochondria yeah. that power everything. The red blood cells are powered by light. And the, the movement of blood keeps them going, but um, we need this light to optimize everything in our body. Again, all the other things are very important to the ignition, the fuel, the compression, and light in, from what we're talking about is the ignition. So we get the light, we optimize all these systems, all biochemical reactions will proceed more effectively and smoothly because essentially every biomolecule has specific absorption spectra of light. If you take any molecule in the body, basically almost anything in the universe, but in the body in particular, there's a certain wavelength of absor- or spectrum of absorption that these molecules have. And again, just ba- on basic biochemistry, basic biophysics and basic physics, this light will be able to increase the rate of reactions that any of these molecules are involved in. So just getting the light and again, that's why I said in the beginning, I feel that there is this potential for human spiritual uh, spiritual development, cognitive development, just overall beingness that is potentially a lot greater than even what the best of us are experiencing today. Well, Matt, you know, this is all so fascinating. And again, you know, I'm truly amazed at how much knowledge you have acquired for such a young man. You're 23, right? 21. 21. On Wednesday. 21. Last Wednesday, yeah. Wow, last Wednesday. That's, yeah, oh, that's right. The 12th. We're, we're close together, yeah. I'm the 24th and you're the 12th. And uh, so it's it's exciting for me and it's it's very gratifying for me to meet a, a young person that's mind is working so beautifully and 
And uh, it's, congratulations on taking the time and the energy to find, you know, the Ben Greenfields and the 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 cruises and the doctors of of the world that are really you know worth listening to because that's how you really learn, right? Most people sit in universities being told what to read instead of going out and exploring. You know, a lot of people say, how did you develop all your knowledge? And I call it situational learning. When I came across a client or a patient that had a problem, then I would go research whatever I had to figure out what the problem was. But I didn't just sit in school for years reading stuff someone else wanted me to read. So all my knowledge came from situation challenges, like this person has this what going on. So I would dig into it till I could figure it out. Then the next person that walks through the door has got some other wild and crazy problem. So when you really have honest questions and you go search for the answers, then that knowledge becomes yours as opposed to being told what you should believe, which is really goes right back to the whole COVID conundrum that we were talking about. So, you know, you, you started early to build your business, which is uh, to make blue blocker glasses, correct? Yeah. And I've tried your glasses. They're really lovely. So thank you for the gift as well. And uh, I can feel a, a difference from when I wear those versus wear these. It's, it's a, I'm just used to wearing these and they don't have any color, which I kind of enjoy. But uh, I'm definitely going to start applying yours tonight. And I really loved listening to the pod, Health Mama podcast where you talked about, uh, I think you talked about how if you have the right ones, it, it uh, helps bring melatonin up. And you were telling me about that. So why don't you share how you ultimately develop your business and and the uniqueness of your glasses? And I'd love it if you can share the information on why a lot of the blue blacker blocker glasses out there are not actually effective. Because I thought that part of the podcast with the health mama was was really good. I, that to me was very important knowledge for people to have. It is really important. So as far as getting to the business, I was raised in a family situation where you know, there was a general concern about finance. And even though we were in a pretty upper middle class, wealthy area and so on, my parents being divorced and just brought in all these that yeah. made things challenging. And so I always was generally uncomfortable around finances and money. And so when I got into this health stuff, it blew my mind. And I was particularly just the idea that what I thought I knew and I, I thought I was a pretty smart person. Like I always got straight A's. I consider myself really smart, you know, or I did. And so when I learned about this diet stuff, it shook me because I thought, what else, you know, don't I know that I was being lied to? I, I got really heated and went through that stage of trying to convince everyone like that you got to eat paleo and this and that. And that opened my mind, of course, to someone like Dr. Cruz and then all these other researchers he led me to. And then even spirituality because nothing was off the table, you know, when at that age 14 that I was like, whoa, you know, all of a sudden everything I thought I knew became a question of, okay, well, what else don't I know and how much, how far does it go? Yeah. Pretty far, if not forever. <laughs> and so, uh, you know, that was really awesome. As far as uh, business goes, there was a couple different people, but one person in particular who was just another young ambitious, late um, teens, early 20s, who was just three or four years older than me, enough to seem like someone who I felt like he understood it and he had stuff figured out in some way more than I did. And so I wanted, I trusted him. He told me to read these couple of books and I was 
this is a total side note, but I was living abroad. I went to uh, Eastern Europe, to Bosnia and Herzegovina on an exchange program. And mm-hmm. I was going to ask you from your army experience, because that was around that time period. I wondered if you were maybe over there, but no, I haven't. So I, I lived in, uh, in this city with Bosnian Serbs and it was really cool. Just great experience for deepening my view of the world for 10 months at 16. I just lived with a host family and learned the language and everything went to high school. But while I was there, I was reading these business books. I had to find some like UK book company to even ship them to here in Bosnia. And one of them was Tim Ferriss's four hour work week, mm-hmm. which was such an inspirational book. Like, wow, I can be part of what he called the new rich, build an online business, use the internet, you know, fi- find a niche market and how to serve their needs and so on. Something that the rest of the world maybe doesn't know about that. I have sort of something I could share. And I figured, well, I've learned all this stuff about health and especially light, blue light, sunlight, which just seemed so far beyond because paleo was already out there. And, you know, five years later, paleo is main, almost mainstream. It's on the stores, you know, shelves at Whole Foods mm-hmm. and, and everything. And so this light research is, I'm guessing probably three to five years as well down the pike. And mm-hmm. I guess I'm sort of a vehicle to bring that out in a way that people can kind of relate to and find almost cool. So I hope that just as you know, Dave Asprey's and the Dave Asprey's of the world have brought that information out. I can bring this information out in a similar fashion over the next three to five years or so. And that's where this business thinking came from. Um, eventually, you know, stuff I was doing all the time, blue blocker glasses as part of this, what I now call the light diet protocol to help, you know, mitigate the risk of all the time I was in school under fluorescent lights. And then at night to protect from blue light, to optimize my melatonin and the circadian rhythm via melatonin and light exposure, um, the the glasses were basically a key piece, right? Mm -hmm. But I I never once thought I would ever sell glasses. It just wasn't even within the realm of desire for me Mm because at my core, I find myself or I feel that I am, you know, meant to be a researcher and a student and eventually that, and it already is, but you know, that bleeds into teaching just mm-hmm. as a result. But for me, the emphasis is always on learning. Cause I just, I'm just a voracious well, you need something learner. to fund your learning. Exactly. And you, these <laughs> books aren't cheap. Yeah. So the business, I eventually realized I graduated high school and it just became clear either I do what my dad wants me to do, which was go to college or I figure out how to become financially independent. So I had had two years of thinking about Tim Ferriss's ideas and some other Silicon Valley people like Peter Thiel and Eric Rice, the Lean Startup. Great business books for anyone who wants to start. Zero to One, the Lean Startup, and the Four Hour Work Week were the, the trifecta for me. And eventually, the right opportunity came along where if I hadn't read those books, hadn't done all this research, it wouldn't have even been in my awareness, but it was just perfect. And I seized the opportunity. In fact, it was cool. This uh, podcaster I've mentioned to you several times now, Luke Story, he's a good friend. And I was uh, called, like you say, intuitively, I listened to a podcast where he interviewed Dr. Cruz. And that was the only reason I was listening to his podcast. He was talking about this event he was going to do in New York City. And at the time, I was, it was summer after high school. I was landscaping for money and planning on taking a gap year to go travel the world with the money I earned from landscaping for the summer, but always thinking while pushing a lawnmower all day about now, I feel like I could use my knowledge for something that would benefit the world more. And you know, concurrently, I would receive more financial compensation or yeah. in a different way, right? And so as I went to that event to learn from Luke's story and even ask if I could be on his podcast, which is the podcast that sort of 
launched my career going on podcasts in a sense and educating and so on. And that's a podcast that even Rick heard and was super interested in. All that came from listening to this intuitive sense that you talk about taking that two-hour drive from Philly where I grew up to New York and going to this event. And that same night, he asked about the glasses that my buddy who came up with me and I were wearing. These were custom tinted lenses that were something that blocked blue light that was much more attractive than these safety goggles that you've probably seen, the yeah. UVEX goggles. That's what we, we wore before my friend figured out that we could order this service. But the thing was the service that we were getting these glasses through was uh, took a lot of time and money. It was a bit of a painful process. And you, although you knew what you were getting to a certain extent, it was very challenging. So when I tried to put Luke through this process, it was like, this isn't working. And I, I had basically figured out, you know what, I could actually make the glasses for you. So we started, uh, I actually started a Google sheet because I realized, okay, he wanted them. So other people might want them. And within a couple of weeks, we got like 50 something people who submitted a, the form to order the glasses. And that was pretty cool because that was kind of like what I had read about from Tim Ferriss. And I saw, okay, this is an opportunity. Um, I was on my way to travel to Europe, like I mentioned for a gap year and so I had a really good setup where I was able to hire some people to help uh, get the business going and whatnot to help with basically manufacturing. And we started in my garage initially back in 20, end of 2017. But since then, you know, it just grew and grew and grew. And ultimately, the, the main thing that drove the business was that people wanted a, attractive blue blocking glasses was one but that actually blocked the right wavelengths, which yes. was something largely Dr. Cruz, I'd say, brought to the market. You know, um, For example, Dave Asprey was talking about blue blockers well after Dr. Cruz was putting so much focus on that. I, I believe he probably was one of the main people bringing that light focus, circadian focus to this health community where it, it is now gaining a lot of traction. And so the the thing that's interesting is so there are a lot of attractive what people call blue blockers or blue light glasses on the market. Um, there's companies like Felix Gray, which is really well known, really big company, and they're selling to large uh, a lot of tech companies and so on. People buy them, wear their glasses in the office, and they're attractive frame styles, but the lenses don't block nearly enough of the right wavelengths of light. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I actually bought a pair of those, but I they for some reason they sent me a pair of glasses that were so narrow it was squeezing my head and giving me headaches so i sent them back and i don't know what happened but i never got another pair and then ben greenfield turned me on to these but now that i've got the best I'll, yeah we'll transition great so yeah that was probably before ben started you know working with us but possibly yeah he so we um that that was kind of a main thing was i could buy something that has an attractive frame style but the lenses are essentially these totally clear lenses and clear essentially is the quality of the light passing through the lens being undisturbed. And the thing is we want the light to be, let's say disturbed or filtered, especially the blue component, because the blue that we see as visual blue that helps, you know, magnify or complete the color spectrum for our visual perception is the same blue that when it's uncoupled from the healing red and infrared light from the sun becomes very damaging. So I like to explain it. Um, you know, the reason it's so important to block blue light, even during the day when blue is naturally present is that the blue in the sun is kind of like a virus when you have an immune system, which would be like red and infrared light. 
So when you have a virus like blue light from the sun with a functional immune system, good red and infrared light in high quantities, it can not only just be not damaging, but actually be further beneficial because it stimulates certain things in the body that we've discussed earlier. Um, and it can be the damage, the risks, let's say, of blue light are offset by the red and infrared light. Right. So when you take away the red and infrared light, which is present in full spectrum sunlight, but is taken away in the modern lighting, especially the energy efficient, cool LEDs above our head. But the majority of lighting that's used today, screens in particular, are based on cool white LEDs. The infrared's gone. And so the blue all of a sudden becomes like a virus when you don't have any immune system, which is very, very damaging. There's evidence, good evidence that blue light without, again, the full spectrum of light present increases uh, free radical production in the mitochondria, mm -hmm. which is very clearly attributable to the fact that the mitochondria, when they can't produce energy the way they're designed, they naturally make more free radicals. As a response, one could argue to cause mutations in the mitochondrial DNA, which is what the free radicals do, because the biggest free radical leak is at you know, this one part of the mitochondria, cytochrome 1, which is directly adjacent to the mitochondrial DNA in general. And so that is almost like the rapid evolutionary mechanism we have in ourselves when energy production is altered for any reason, the mitochondrial DNA mutate. And this is thousands of mitochondria per human cell. So within the lifetime of a single human cell that has one nucleus, you can have tons of mitochondrial mutation, which is basically like a search for a favorable mutation that allows us to adapt to our energy production to a changed environment. So the blue light with the infrared and red is totally cool. Without it, it becomes a huge problem. And so that's why we need to block basically all of it when we're not in the full spectrum of sunlight. And that's why the lenses that actually filter the blue fully are important. And those lenses, by filtering all the blue, appear very yellow. And that's basically what the, the day lenses or what I'll call screen lenses going forward, the ones that I'm wearing actually, mm -hmm. do. That's why yeah. they have this very yellow hue. And can so, I, Can I ask you a quick question? Just of course. Because I've been waiting and I don't want to lose the context of it. You're talking about that we're inside of buildings, for example, that we're not getting the infrared spectrum because we're not getting sunlight. But here's my question. Infrared's being produced by the materials in a building. I used to be a soldier and we used to use night vision, which is infrared. And I could see you glowing from 400 meters. In fact, there's a, a, a rule when you're a soldier in the 82nd Airborne Division, you are never allowed to iron your uniform. You know why? Because you glow. Yeah. Because the metal, it, it takes metal off the iron. So micro particulates of metal from the iron as you're ironing your uniform. So if you're at night on a mission, you stand out like a glowing light bulb in the dark and you can get shot real easy. That's very interesting. Yeah, because the heat coming off your body makes the metal particles glow. And so when you're getting looked at through an infrared scope, they can see you much better than guys that didn't iron their uniforms. So the question I have is, You're talking about infrared from the sun, but the infrared waves are all around us all the time. So how do you differentiate those two? So they are the same. It depends on the spectrum. First of all, the infrared emitted by 
general objects is generally far infrared, which is not what we need for our mitochondria. That would be one. Second is that the intensity is the intensity difference. So okay. the intensity of that is extremely subtle. I would be curious. My response question would be what would happen if you took an infrared night camera out into the daylight? I mean, probably I've never tried that. I would assume it would be overwhelmingly bright. You it wouldn't even be able to would. see. You might not, it'd be just be blind. Exactly. Light, it'd be yeah. blinded because the amount of it's so much more. Yeah. So it's really just a matter of intensity. So there's minimal infrared coming off of these things around us relative to the sun during the day, which is again, what we're evolved to, what we've been discussing. Yeah. And so not only is there very little, but secondly, it's generally not going to be the near infrared, which is what the mitochondria are most, you know, So you're saying to. that this is far infrared? Yes, yeah, far okay. infrared. Yeah. And so our body also emits a lot of far infrared. So it's in this, you could probably have some very interesting comments on this, but we take in higher energy light in the processes of energy production, it comes into us. And in some way we lower the wavelengths mm -hmm. or we lower the energy of the light by take utilizing the energy and it dissipates away from us more as far infrared. Okay. That, so that, it's less useful, shall we say? I just had that question because I, I, I think, you know, just, I just use the knowledge in my mind. And, and the first question is, well, wait a minute, there's infrared all the time. You know, this planet is hot during the day and cooler during the night, but having been a soldier and used those scopes, I can see everything glowing. You know? Yeah. It's definitely a matter of intensity and mm -hmm. the type of infrared. And we need the near infrared. And that's, that's more likely far infrared mm -hmm. that you're measuring. I would say almost certainly that it is, mm -hmm. although I'm not very familiar with the scopes. And so that's sort of the, the key explanation because people, again, they say, well, okay, I get about blocking blue light at night because intuitively it makes sense. The sun goes down, blue light at night, through the eye and the skin, stimulate the circadian rhythm, making more cortisol mm -hmm. and in particular suppressing melatonin production. Yeah, that's critical. So yeah. people get wearing blue blockers at night to protect from blue light naturally. But then the question usually is, okay, so why block it during the day? And that's why, because we don't have the full spectrum. We don't have the near infrared in particular. In and so buildings. in buildings or yeah. anywhere where there's artificial lighting, but even if the lights were off in here, Windows almost always filter Lock. near infrared light, a lot of infrared. Generally, they're worse and worse now because they're trying to be energy efficient. Right. So by blocking the energy that makes the room hot and makes us need to use more air conditioning, right. you know, they're lowering the air conditioning needs. They're blocking our sort of life force energy. Yeah. And so it's a big issue, again, environmentally friendly lights and, and environmentally friendly windows are probably not helping the environment because the amount of energy we're going to be expending on healthcare costs as a result, and we already are, I would I would wager far outweighs any savings. Not to yeah. mention that what is a sick populace going to be able to do for a healthier planet? Plus in cities, you know, you got massive glass buildings with all sorts of sunscreen protective built right into the glass and so those people are just probably starving to death for, yes. for the frequency waves links that our bodies need. And most people, even if you don't live in a city, we mostly are. You could live, of course, in you know Wyoming and the wilderness. But if you're on your TV all night long and yeah. you're not going outside and grounding and so on, you're still going to be deficient. Even if you're in beautiful nature, it's, it's like there's the macro environment. And then there's like the micro environment. Same with EMF. If you're in a big city, you're in like a soup of EMF, which we discussed how, of course, if your field is stronger, you're happy, it, it may not affect you as much. You have a study you've cited on that, of course. But nonetheless, if you're in a big city, you're in a soup, but you could be in the middle of nowhere with no 
surrounding EMF, but have your Wi-Fi on and so on in your house and still make it nearly as bad for yourself. So anyhow, um, that's the, the day lenses. They're blocking or screen lenses, I like to call them. They block the vast majority of the blue light component of light, especially our artificial lights, to protect our eyes, protect our hormones, protect, for example, things like macular degeneration, people needing glasses. You know, myopia is one of the most common diseases today. Uh, nearsightedness, mm -hmm. people can't see far away. And I had a friend who totally uh, is just learning about these things. I've been talking with him about these things. And he said, you know, it's so interesting to think about like how people who would need, who need glasses to see, especially far distance, would not survive in the wilderness. No. You know? So it's like, that's not a genetic adaptation. It's, it's an, of course, like many diseases, as we, we could discuss all day, it's an environmental shift that's shifting our body's ability to carry out its functions properly. Mm -hmm. And therefore, we call it a disease when in reality, it's more like an attempt by the body to try to function in adapt an altered, to adapt to an altered environment would be, yeah, that's a really good way to put it. So that's really um, the, the simplest way to explain the glasses. And to your key question about why, again, clear lenses aren't effective is because we need one, even the, the near clear lenses, some of them on the market that block a percentage of the blue light emitted by our LEDs and screens, it's still not enough, mm -hmm. but the majority actually don't block any. It's, it's something that I, if I were a bit more fiery, I could get more fired up about, but I'll just share the information. So I'll, I'm going to pull out this spectral meter. So anyone who's listening, I, I'm going to describe what I have. I have a light meter. It's like a, a phone, but it has a little sensor and I take the cap off, I calibrate it and I shine it in our light environment. So if I shine that, it's going to show you probably three spikes of red, green, and blue because these are cool white LEDs and there's going to be a huge spike of blue. Oh, wow. So these are more continuous, like you said, but still, there's still a huge spike of blue. Um, now, if I go closer to this bulb up overhead, it might be different. It, no, it's pretty good. And then if I shine towards this supposedly daylight, so it's about the same, these, type, yeah. these two types mm -hmm. of lights, usually an LED. So, um, and I'm going to hold this up to the camera so anyone doing video editing could show this spectrum. If you're, if you're listening to this, just go ahead and Google search, or we could put it in the show notes, spectral chart of different light sources. And you'll see a spectrum for sunlight, which is very continuous. And then you'll see a spectral chart for an LED, which is not continuous, which I'm going to show right now to the video viewers and to Paul. But um, this is an LED without any filtration. Anyway, you can see here how there's a ton of blue and it's yeah. and there's very little infrared. Now, if I were to go shine this towards the sun, we don't have the sun up right now, but you would see a very continuous spectrum into the blue, the violet, and very a lot more than any of the rest of the colors of red and infrared. Okay. I'd like to see that. Yeah. And, and I could sh demonstrate that later, but so this is a white phone screen with no filter on it. This is more of the LED that I was referring to. Yeah. Very distorted spectrum imbalance. And again, I'll hold this up to the camera. And that's what people are looking at with computer screens. Exactly. Computers and phones. And so what, when that infrared, which again, in the sun, I can just tell you, it would be fully packed all the way up here all the way to the into end. a range that this meter doesn't even measure deeper into the infrared right. range. So when you cut that out, which these lights do, that's when this blue becomes like the virus without the immune system. I see. Yeah. It is very it's beautiful. Damaging. It's great to have the visual. It is. So it's very handy. So what the glasses do, what these lenses will do is very, very simply, they'll just eliminate the vast majority of that blue spectrum. So you know what? Could you even hold this phone just mm -hmm. above? I'll tap the screen so it stays on. So we're 
for video oh, yeah, watchers. So the blue almost completely nothing. Yeah. So the blues basically little exactly. Dot. There's a tiny dot of blue, and that's okay. Um, it's about ninety five percent of the whole blue range is eliminated by these. A little bit's cool because it helps with color perception, but yeah. it's important that it's basically all gone. So that's after applying a daytime lens. Now this is cool because the night lenses have the same effect. But you see that whole green spike? That's still much more active. So yeah, let's yeah. do the test again. So these are night lenses, also called sleep lenses. On our new site, we'll be calling them sleep lenses. So that green spike also can affect our circadian rhythm. So for a maximum kick at night, you just kick out the green spectrum yeah, as well. You neat. leave the red and the infrared. Mm -hmm. And so the light, which was another question we didn't, I didn't circle, um, but is that fire light doesn't contain blue unless it's oh, from yes. a hot burning gas like propane. See, so because... You know, a lot of the books I studied on sleep, and I've tested this and it works, and I know this from being a kid because we lit our house mostly by firelight in our, on our farm. Uh, we didn't have a lot of lighting on. Um, so I was curious why oftentimes it's suggested in books that you use beeswax candles. They say those are the best and or a fireplace because it doesn't have the same negative effects on us before we go to bed. Yeah. So I would say one huge benefit is infrared. There's a lot of infrared near and far in fire. Mm -hmm. So that is like a sauna, like sun. It's giving us that energy. Mm -hmm. Personally, I know that I feel amazing when I'm even present with the ambiance of a fire, especially mm -hmm. on a cold winter evening. Mm -hmm. It's just it lights me up. Mm. I would do in my backyard in high school as a hack in the winter, being in Philadelphia and not able to go somewhere else. I would light a bonfire in my, I had a small backyard in the suburbs, but I had a little brick thing I built as a circular fire pit, put the lock, built bricks up in the center so I could have it elevated. And I would light a fire and the snow would be on my back and the light would be on my chest and I would be basically naked. And it was the most enlivening experience yeah, it's beautiful. of my life. Mm -hmm. And so that is one, we get the infrared and two, there's no blue. And so it isn't, it doesn't really go both ways that uh, all the infrared without the blue is going to be harmful. Of course, you could still get too much of that, uh, of the red and infrared. Uh, I'm not sure of the toxic dose, if there even really is one, because for example, people making red light panels argue there is no toxic dose of red light. You could just get as much as you Mostly want. Mostly just heat, but... Uh yeah, so well, that's now we a key. know that uh, the woman that will ultimately captivate you has to be more exciting than a fire on a cold day in Philadelphia. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, right. That I have a question a before good... we get too far. And that's I a great it. way to put it. Yeah. yeah, of course. So here, let's test. Yeah, let's test these lenses. So, no, no, not, it's oh, not, that's no, not no. the question. Okay. If you wear those too frequently because it's cutting so much out, can that ultimately lead to changes in your vision because you're not getting stimulated by a large enough spectrum? That's a really, really great question. So it probably could, although I couldn't say for sure whether or not it would. Now, what I can say fairly confidently is that the damage of the unbalanced blue light is far worse. Mm. In fact, that's going to cause vision damage. And we know that because everyone needs glasses. So it's like what we're doing now, as you say, it's like you're on a in a sick society, like if you're doing what everyone else is doing, you're going to be sick. Yeah. So we already know from a massive global uh, experiment with, you know, 3 billion people or more in the industrialized world that this isn't really working. Yeah. Uh, it's causing a lot of issues. Now, some would naturally ask, well, how is this causing these issues? And that would probably be something good for us to just touch on as we wrap up how the lack of sunlight and blue light 
leads to the mitochondrial diseases we're facing today. That's something that I really like, and I didn't talk about too much on the Wellness Mama podcast. Well, two things I wanted you to go over. You never talked about the frequencies that most glasses exclude and why yours don't do that. Let's do that. And then the other thing is, are you familiar with the Bates method for better eyesight? Yes, I've heard of it and looked into it not very much. Because I've used it for years with because I find eye problems behind all sorts of orthopedic problems. Um, and uh, I've written about that in my uh, chapter I wrote in a medical book years ago called Posture and Craniofacial Pain. Uh, so the point is there's a strong correlation between eye problems and structural mm-hmm. problems. That oh, yeah. I found uh, actually... Uh, I cite research from uh, all the way back around 1925 um, and an orthopedic surgeon and ophthalmologist got together and started comparing notes and they did a study and they found actually for every three people with an orthopedic injury, one point, something like 1.25 of them had their injury because of an ocular dysfunction. I'm so excited by this question. So First of all, I would just add, there's a really nice biblical verse. It's the, it's in Matthew, who of course I'm named for. It's if thine eye be single, then thy whole body will be full of light. Mm-hmm. And if thine eye be darkness, then thy whole body will be full of darkness. And if thy body is full of darkness, how great is that darkness? Something like that. And of course, that's an older English version. It's basically if your eye is clear or clean, your whole body will be full of light. And if your eye is not clear or dirty, or and this is both something we could take physically and literally or met spiritually, but I could actually tell you what that means. I would appreciate that, but I take it to mean that when we're getting, uh, when we have eye problems, when we, I mean, this is again the more scientific Western interpretation, mm-hmm. but if we have eye problems, if the eye, the light isn't being transmitted into our eye, our body is going to be deficient and. So let's not forget about the discussion of the ocular problems because that's very important. If we're deficient in this light through the eye, the eye is the main receptor for light in the body. The skin's important, but the eye is mm-hmm. bar none the most important. And and we should talk a little bit on why that is as we wrap up. But yes, that is the idea that people need to know. If thine eye be single means when you're in a state of focused or emptiness, when you're meditating, when you reach the point that your third eye opens, mm-hmm. you're now using the eye that sees through the entire universe and it will be filled with the light of God because you will actually see the truth of yourself. So what that really means is, see, the, the right eye is linked to the left brain, left eye to the right brain. You yes, understand yes. The, but, but this eye, the which, which, is which where yes, the nerves exactly cross. what it is. And interestingly, the pineal gland, which is linked to the third eye, which is the third eye, has rods and cones in it. Yeah. So it used to be an extra uh, it, it, outside of the skin structure, and, and it still is in certain salamanders and so on. They yes. Can sense directly. And so the point that I'm making is, is that, and that also contains DMT. And so when we go through the death experience and our body is ready to let go, the DMT is released, which lets the soul leave the body. But I'm a remote viewer and someone who works in these other dimensions all the time, every day. And I use my third eye to see into those. I also use my heart chakra. The heart chakra works just as good as the third eye. But you can't get that third eye to truly open to its full potential until you live from your heart. 
because otherwise you have too much polarity in your body. It's a very interesting uh, way to put it and a much deeper interpretation that I'm fully aligned with. We, we, we always interpret everything through our gestalt, right? So that's why they say you see what you, you treat what you see and you see what you treat. And if you look at the book, uh, How Emotions Are Made by Lisa Feldman Barrett, which is a very current book with very up-to-date science, she shows you scientifically, factually, and objectively. It's been proven that we all see what we believe, and we only believe what we see. And it's very hard to get people to change their beliefs. And that's what pain is for. Mm. That's why I did a whole podcast series on the pain teacher to show you if you keep drugging the pain and, and covering it up, then you're actually missing the opportunity to change your paradigm because you're being led by whatever you want to call it, God, soul, spirit into an awakening experience. And the pain is there to shift your perception because you're not going to do it without a kick in the ass unless you are actively engaged in a spiritual practice where you seek expanded consciousness. Yeah, absolutely. So that is very powerful. And to your question about or point about ocular light perception, there's a really great book that you might even want to add to your library. It's called, you might have it, The Influence of Ocular Light Perception on Metabolism in Man and Animal. Mm. It's a guy named Fritz Hallwich who was working around the time of Fritz Albert Pop. He was right. also in Germany. They were colleagues, if I'm not mistaken. And he was looking at how light coming through the eye because of you know a lot of research that had already been done piqued his curiosity. He was looking at how light through the eye affects so many systems in the body. And he has a chapter on basically every system in the body, the you know endocrine system, the uh, circulatory system, I mean, the liver, yeah, the I kidneys, it, yeah. you get it, every system. And when people had, for example, the most interesting, one of the most interesting findings was that when people had cataracts, uh, these blocked ocular light perception and you know, it's hard to, he didn't really specify whether he was using full spectrum daylight or even artificial lights. Although at the time in the late forties, the artificial lights were very different from the ones we have today. They didn't have uh, fluorescent tubes so much. They didn't, in particular, uh, LEDs didn't exist and screens didn't exist. So it was either mostly incandescent bulbs, mm -hmm. maybe early fluorescence or full spectrum, you know, full mm -hmm. spectrum sunlight or sunlight filtered through a window. And again, back then they filtered much less, if not all, or if not none of the infrared light. So mm -hmm. they were generally referring to, you know, full spectrum light, we can assume from the sun. And so when these cataracts were removed, these dysfunctions, abnormalities in metabolites of neurotransmitters and other things in these patients' urine would normalize for no other change other than their cataracts being removed. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very fascinating book. And so to your point about this dysfunction, these orthopedic doctors would see it totally makes sense even um even if the mechanisms aren't as studied as they ought to be there's so much good data that underpins these ideas that it's very very hard to let's say deny or ignore the critical role of light passing through the eye the orthopedic issues were coming from imbalances in the ocular muscles and that's that distorts the lens of the eye which then distorts the light so, for example, if someone has an exophoria, an eye that pulls out, or an esophoria, an eye that turns in, you ever seen people when you look at them, one eye's not tracking mm -hmm. in binocular vision? 
Yes. So that imbalance, because the eyes control the atlas and the atlas controls the whole musculoskeletal system. If you have an ocular imbalance like that, it throws the atlas out of place and the eyes, the vestibular system and the jaw, the bite are the governors of the whole structural system because the eyes, ears, and teeth have to be level with the horizon because that's sort of like the zero balance of a gyroscope. So if your eyes, ears, and teeth aren't level with the horizon, you cannot tell where you're at in space and you're much more likely to fall, which in nature means you'll die. If you break a leg, you're dead 10,000 years ago. Mm -hmm. That was it. Um, So because the eyes are the chief governor of the musculoskeletal system, which then govern the atlas, which then drives the whole spine, which drives the extremities, anyone with an imbalance in the eyes actually will have a structural imbalance because the body will adapt to try to get the eyes level with the horizon. If the jaw is out of alignment, the head will adapt to try to get the teeth level because you only get one set of adult teeth. So if every time you close your mouth and you chew, the average person engages their teeth 4,000 times a day between swallowing and chewing, you'll wear your adult teeth out, which means in nature you're dead. So your teeth are actually higher on the survival totem pole reflex than even your eyes because you can survive if someone else will feed you, but you can't survive if you got no way to eat. Mm. So the vestibular system, which coordinates all your balance reflexes and tells you tells you where the head is at on the body, which lets you know where your head's at in relationship to your body, which is essential for any kind of movement like climbing over things or just balancing. There's a very strong neurological connection through the cranial nerves between the eyes, the inner ear, and the jaw, which is the fifth cranial nerve, the trigeminal nerve. So you've got the, the cranial nerves for the eyes, the eighth cranial nerve, the acoustic nerve, and they're all actually controlling the whole musculoskeletal system. So what their research showed is that for every three people with, say, low back pain, one of them had an ocular imbalance that would, would uh, result in the orthopedic approaches not working because they were actually compensations for higher order systems. Yeah. So it, it makes sense and it aligns nicely. Even if it is a slightly different flavor of an issue, it is the same in my evaluation of a lot of the modern diseases we're facing. For example, in obesity, there's a, a very interesting study that shows that it is all, all well, basically always preceded by thickening of the choroid in the eye in, indicating that there's a fundamental issue starting in the eye with light that's affecting the metabolic systems downstream and changing everything. And for example, in this book, there was study on the skeletal system as well and younger children deprived of light. Now, there were multiple reasons for this, but um, their bone structure, their, their bones wouldn't form properly. And of course, rickets was one of the biggest issues in the industrial revolution in kids. And that had to do with partially light through the eye, but generally vitamin D production you know, the kids living under the, the smog in London and living indoors in factories, working mm-hmm. in factories, didn't get enough light for their bones even to develop properly. Right. And uh, th- that's another very interesting finding, of course. And they found that, of course, UV light was the cure for rickets by helping re-naturalize calcium um, metabolism. So this is really interesting. Uh, this is what I was saying earlier I could get fired up about. So the issue with most clear lens blue blockers is that they the, the glasses, the common question is, well, why, why are they clear? Uh, why, if they don't block the right wavelengths of light, then why are they even being sold? Well, I think the answer, I don't think the answer is that these uh, companies are malicious or something like that. I just think the, the knowledge is lacking. Yeah, no, no, the no, no, the no. industry is yeah. very young. Mm-hmm. And so 
um, people want clear lenses. People don't want to wear colored lenses because it's uh, maybe embarrassing. It's or well, it changes. Fashion it statement. changes everything you see. It does. It changes things you see as well. And so, but I think honestly, for most people, for me, especially when I was younger, well, in high school, it was like I didn't want to be uh, seen as weird mm. wearing a colored lens. And I do think for a lot of people, that would be the biggest barrier. Mm. It's not so much about the changing the color they see because people. When it's a fashion statement, people at Coachella will wear these colored lenses all day long. Mm -hmm. Although, again, I advocate against the use of sunglasses pretty much for anyone. I recommend wearing a hat or being in the shade as opposed to distorting the spectrum. Even Laird Hamilton talks about that, how if you're wearing sunglasses, it affects the pupillary reflex by blocking the ultraviolet light. So you're blocking the UV, which is a sort of stimulus to say, if you're, especially if you're getting too much light, it's like, okay, get in the shade or wear a hat or something. Mm -hmm. You block that UV and then your pupil doesn't contract properly and you're getting a ton of extra high energy blue light, even mm. more high energy and higher quantities than is contained in artificial lights. And so even though you might have infrared coming through, it's so high intense, it's such high intensity that it also can be very damaging to the eyes. And again, yeah. Laird could explain that aspect even better than I can. Um, so it's, it's a very interesting uh, concept. That's something that someone who was, you know, is in that circle mentioned to me. That, and I was like, wow, yeah, people, some people actually know about this, even though it's not common, not very common knowledge. So anyhow, um, showing the screen one more time, what the issue is of these lenses, clear lenses, and I have a, a pair here from a very common brand that markets themselves as screen glasses. The, in order to remain clear, they can't block any significant percentage of the blue light that's present in the environment. Otherwise they will appear yellow because they are altering the spectrum. So what do they do? The blue light range goes all the way from 400 to 500 nanometers in the light spectrum. And so 410 to 500 approximately, below 410s, indigo, violet, and then ultraviolet. And so they can block 100% of the UV light, and which we can't see, so you won't notice a color change in the lens, and 100% of the blue light up to 420 nanometers, which is the high energy blue light from sun that if you believe that sunlight's bad for you, you would think you should block, which I disagree with. But nonetheless, that's the premise. So they block up to four, 420 nanometers, 100%. By the time they get to 430, they're blocking maybe less than, um, generally less than 50, even 40 or 30%. And by the time they get to 455 nanometers, so if we measure this screen again here, let's, uh, I'll calibrate it. You'll see that that blue spike that's the biggest concern from artificial lighting for both damaging our eyes, our hormones, our mitochondrial energy production, and also our sleep, especially at night, is centered around 450 nanometers. So people might be able to see where this is going. So if we hold this here, I'll only need you to hold it once I actually um, shine it. So it's centered around 450 nanometers, that blue spike, right? Yeah. So if you block 100% up to 420 and then a portion up to 430, and by the time you get to 450, you're blocking essentially nothing, is this clear lens blocking any of the damaging blue light from screens and everything that we're concerned about? So just so I'm clear, the screens are emitting blue in what frequency range? Between about 430 to 480. Okay. But mo at the center of the spike is 455. Right. It's centered around 455 And you're saying nanometers. most of the blue blockers are down in the four, 405 to 420 Four, range. Basically 380 to 420. They block. 420. So, so here, I'll show. This is the spectrum. Again, people, if, if this camera will focus, otherwise we'll take pictures and I'll text them to you so you can use them on the show notes. But um, yeah, please. No, that, I was just trying to make sure it was clear for everybody. Um, and for me, I heard it when you said it on the Health Mama podcast. 
but now I was just trying to make sure I was clearly understanding it. But with your explanation of the frequencies coming off of phone screens and computer screens, and basically saying that they're going up into these higher spectrums that the blue blockers aren't catching. The majority, I'm, I'm saying, is probably 95% of the blue, blue light or blue blocker glasses that are sold today are not blocking even close to the right range at all. It's, it's embarrassing. So see, now if we hold the phone again, you, you remember, of course, same exact phone screen, same white background, yeah. um, and the same meter. Now, you just see, does that affect the spectrum at all of the blue that's there? Well, it's still it's still right where it was. It's exactly before. where it was before. It didn't no. change anything. Now, no. if we were measuring full spectrum it sunlight, it just looks like a little bit narrower bandwidth. Is what and so, exactly so it blocked maybe a little bit up to four thirty. Yeah, but if, if this was full spectrum sunlight where the blue was really high over here, yeah. that would have all gone away. But this spike from the screen isn't is touched. Getting touched, and these are marketed as screen glasses. Literally on the front of the packaging, yeah. it says screen glasses. They don't block any of the wavelengths that are emitted by screen glasses. And this is not just this one brand. It's all of the brands. Even a brand that I mentioned earlier, Felix Gray, claims to be screen glasses, but they only block still 30% around 455 nanometers. In comparison, we're blocking about 95%. And again, it's just, they would argue that that's sufficient. So they're selling placebos. I would say, <laughs> yeah, I'd say placebo. And placebos work yeah, they very do. often. You know, yeah. Dispenza argues his first book or one of his books was You Are the Placebo. So again, just for comparison, if, if I pull this back up, you can see that that was the uh, that was that type of lens. And then here, could you just hold oh, this? Yeah, yeah, that, yeah, of course. And then again, back to the yellow lens that I have. Again, the reason it's yellow is because it shows that it's reducing the blue or it's the amount of pigment in the lens that's required to do that. Did we get that spot on? It's gone. Yeah. So the blue's gone. It's blue and gone. so that's basically the Let's conundrum. Let's see what these do because these are yeah. ones I've been wearing. Yeah, so here. Um, and, and this is a pretty surefire way. Where do you want to do the thing? Uh, any lens, either of the lenses is fine. So here, I'll just get this a little closer because light will leak if I'm not close enough. All right. So you see the spectrum. So it's really not doing much. Now, here's the thing. This isn't, this is a relative scale. So you can see now that the colors are slightly closer together, which means that it did filter a little bit. So see, so it did balance them slightly, but not nearly enough. So I wouldn't rely on those. No. Now, what I mentioned to you earlier, the ultimate hack would be either if you can work outside, I always recommend this to people. If you can work outdoors on your screen or have a full open window uh, with the full spectrum light coming in, mm -hmm. then you really don't need the day lenses that we have. This is for people who have to be in school or in an office or in a grocery store. You know, I'll use them in a case like this, but I rarely use the daytime screen lenses, but the night lenses, everyone can, not, again... <laughs> I say that lightly, but most people can't work indoors all day They or outdoors. They just won't. So the, the screen lenses, aka day lenses that are yellow lenses will be useful for most people in the modern world. But the night lenses, I'm using them every single night. Like the sun's going down now. So I would put these on basically right now. And so these are going to block that additional spectrum of green light and basically just kind of put me on my ass, shall we say. It's like a natural melatonin I'm going to try them tonight because... I typically wind down at night by watching something on Gaia TV that, you know, I enjoy or just something to kind of relax, like a video on a documentary on some famous musician or something. But, um, I, I, my point is I would like to see if it enhances my sleep quality because yeah. I've had circadian rhythm problems for a long, long time from all the jet travel. Yeah. And you would want to do them. Uh, you'd want to use them consistently, I'd say for at least, uh, two to three weeks, mm -hmm. but the effects generally you can feel pretty quickly, but over time it's better to do mm -hmm. it that way. Now, 
of course, like we talked about with EMFs and other things, if you're really healthy and you're really happy, you're probably already going to be very healthy, right? So naturally, if you're healthy, you're going to be healthy. I'm but, twisted steel and sex appeal, <laughs> baby. Yeah. <laughs> so how's that for an ego? <laughs> yeah. I, I tell people the most important thing is the stuff we spent the, the whole entire duration of the podcast basically talking about dialing in your light environment, in my opinion, and of course, the spiritual side of things mm-hmm. and diet, all the doctors you speak of. This is just a very low-hanging fruit and very powerful hack, especially in the modern world. Like It wouldn't be necessary in I think for the for, for the grand majority of people out there, their their four doctors are almost non-existent. Mm-hmm. Um, their diets are usually just shit. Um, often sedentary living. I mean, you know, uh, I've got a uh, research study by Michael Mogadun. Uh, actually, I, I learned about I learned about it on a radio show by Don Bodenbach, who used to be uh, someone I used to spend time with and talk to and. Um, Michael Mogadon's got a master's in public health and, uh, he researched what percentage of the population did any regularly scheduled exercise whatsoever, including even walking a dog. And he found that only 8% of men and 3% of women worldwide do any regular exercise whatsoever, including walking their pet. So as I say to my students, if you come to a city like San Diego and you drive down the road, like if you drive down Highway 101 through Lucadia, Encinitas, it looks like there's shitloads of bikers out there. You can see pelotons of 200 guys going down the road and women. But what I And then you see golf courses where there's lots of people playing golf. San Diego has more golf courses than any city in the world. But I tell people, what you don't realize is you're seeing everyone in a city of 3 million people that's exercising. Then it puts it into perspective. Right, it can look like there's a lot of people exercising, but when you realize it's just a small percentage of all the people in the city, then it puts you make okay, I get it now. Like people mm-hmm. aren't really are not getting enough exercise. Yeah, which is amazing because with all the information about the need for you know diet and lifestyle changes out there and millions of books out there, you, people are so conditioned and so programmed they just keep doing the same shit over until the pain teacher shows up. But then when the pain teacher shows up, the Western medical system totally capitalizes on that. Said, "Here's your drug, here's your surgery," and doesn't teach them anything about how they got that way in the first place because that's bad for business. It's not, you know, you need your revolving door. What a fun podcast and what a lot of great information and what um an enlightening uh opportunity to really learn because you know knowing that we have technologies to help us i mean i'm a fit healthy guy and i have a great practice i eat only the top food you know i i I live uh, as if i I live as healthy as I can live without becoming a fanatic, mm-hmm. right? I'll smoke my tobacco and and some pot. And you don't even really smoke it. <laughs> no, I vaporize it. But, you know, the point is, is that like a lot of people that come spend time with me go, oh my God, I can't believe I, I thought you would be just like this complete anal military health guru. And I'm like, fuck, you know, there's nothing more irritating than a fanatic. And, you know... So I try to find the balance, but also, you know, be aware of what you don't want to sacrifice because the cost is just too great. But for those people out there, and even for me, like I, I, I'm, I'm going to use your glasses because I want to enhance myself, right? 
I'm still living in a house. I'm still watching a television screen. So if there's a technology, look, we wear gloves when we do uh, you know, split firewood, because if you don't, you're going to rip your hands to pieces, right? So there's the use of a technology. We have uh, rubber tires on our cars because they work a lot better than stone. <laughs> yeah. like, so what I love is knowing that there's technologies that we can use to enhance even an already healthy life. And for those that, you know, as your vitality goes down, it doesn't take much to knock Humpty Dumpty off the wall. So if you get a good set of blue blocker glasses, it can basically increase your vitality so you are less likely to fall off the wall. And when you look at the whole coronavirus issue, who's most susceptible? Children that haven't developed an immune system and, and elderly people that are just unhealthy or anyone that's unhealthy. So a technology like that can give them enough vitality that they're more durable. I think when we look like we, if we can do something that decreases stress on the system, every amount of stress you decrease, you proportionally increase your potential for vitality, right? Um, so I think a lot of the things that we've talked about are very, very useful. I love the objectivity of your meter. It's, it's real easy to understand something when you can actually see it. Of course. And uh, I think if there's anything that came out of this conversation, it's that light is absolutely fascinating stuff. It is. Yeah. I'd say to your points here, if there's something that's really simple that people can do, you know, one of the easiest things you said, you have clients who you have to go where it's easy for them to go sometimes in the beginning, yeah. mm -hmm. um, just so you can get that initial boost, yeah. getting out in the morning and getting even 10 to 15 minutes of morning sunlight exposure, ideally sun gazing time, but you yeah. could also get out anytime in the morning. Mm -hmm. uh, as soon as you wake up, ideally have your coffee outside or something like that. Yeah. As much time outdoors as possible. Doesn't mean direct sunbathing, but just getting that light and yeah. then blue blockers at night are such an easy way to help to re-regulate our circadian rhythm at night. Yeah. Unless you're going to go live in a cave and you're going to basically not use any light at night, which candles and fire alone are great at night if you can control your house like that, which yeah. many people can, but many people can't because they have roommates, they have parents, they have girlfriends, they have boyfriends, they have whatever it is that they go out. I go out sometimes at night and not very late usually, but anyway, anytime I go out, I'm wearing these. If I drive, I'll wear my day lenses because they still offer pretty good protection at night as far as blue blocking. They're just not as much of a kick as the night lenses. Mm -hmm. So but they'll still make me very tired. Yeah, I was going to say you don't want to fall asleep driving. So. Of course not. So that's why the, the sleep lenses or night lenses are not advisable for night driving. But the day lenses, screen lenses are much more useful and very, very effective and not going to make people at some high risk of getting very tired. So yeah. It's, but they, once you lay down, your melatonin levels are higher and it's, it's easier to fall asleep. And we get really positive testimonials from people all the time. Like I've had sleeping problems for years and this and that, and they didn't change anything else. They didn't even start getting the sunlight, which to me is the more important factor. And they're sleeping better, like very quickly. Yeah, and sleep all the sleep time. Sleep problems get this. are common as white bread today. Is there a name? Yeah. So it's called raw optics is the raw, company well, raw, named after okay. raw, the sun god. No raw. W it's just R A. R -A yeah. yeah. People, R -A. Will, some people will call it R A optics cause they don't even know about raw. So that's something we could touch. I'd love to touch on actually with you to share your knowledge about raw yeah. and the history. Yeah. Raw is a very cool discussion. We yeah. And have. our logo is the eye of raw. So that there's the very common. That is eye. the single eye, by the way, the single eye. Exactly. So yeah. that's, that's a new logo, but that's yeah. basically, you can see it in its small letters on the case. That's uh, a new prototype yeah, case. Good. But 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's, uh, and that was just something that, again, I intuited. I liked the term raw and it was like optics is the study of light. Raw is the God of natural light, healing medicine. So it fits. So it's raoptics.com, raoptics.com. Let's rock and roll. Get your blue blockers. These guys work. You've, I've just, uh, if you watch the video, you'll see the screen. Uh, I'll ask Penny to put some of the images in the show notes for you, but I saw it with my own eyes and it's very real. Matt. Thank you, you, Paul. Buddy. You're kicking ass out there. Thanks. <laughs> it was fun stacking for, rocks. For a young man, you're a stud. Well, thank you. I'm so, not sure. I mean, you were you were doing a lot of uh, hard stuff when you were my age as well. So, well, you know, I was a fiery, fiery, you know, Leo <laughs> sun creature yeah. myself. So, uh, thank you. I'm just glad. I really enjoyed having this time with you and i really enjoy that it's fun to see someone that's 22 that's got 21 some, 21 21 okay 21, 21. i just i just became legal for alcohol oh uh, you well you're not missing way. much yeah of course yeah so, i mean you're not gaining much yeah of course uh, i can i can favorite. turn you on to a lot better things than alcohol <laughs> uh nature's full of them um but it's just great for me to see someone 21 years of age with that depth of knowledge, with that much passion and that much focus. And thank God there's young people like you around because most people today at your age are just so lost and so confused. And I've counseled many of them. I've had many of them as students. So uh, keep keep doing what you're doing and keep finding older guys like me that have been through the school of hard knocks to save you uh, a lot of hassles and, and help you find your, uh, your bliss, you know, but, uh, and blessings to you to find the girl that's more exciting than the fire in the uh, Philadelphia winter. <laughs> I got to see her. So make sure you send me a picture. I got to see what, what, what of raw course. needs in his life. Yeah, of course. All right. Lots of love. And thanks everyone. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Thanks to our sponsors. Remember, anytime you buy something from the sponsors, you're not only getting amazing products that fit the values that I share on this podcast, but you're supporting me so that I can uh, find and spend time with geniuses like Matt and educate you and enhance the quality of your life. So that's the boomerang of love. We give some and we return some. So uh, uh, great job, Matt. Thank you. Um, Bye, everybody. Thank you for listening to Living 4D with Paul Check and today's guest, Matthew Maruka. You can follow Matt on Instagram at ra underscore optics. And if you'd like to try Matt's glasses for yourself, go to raoptics.com forward slash check to get 10% off your purchase. That's R-A-O-P-T-I-C-S dot com forward slash C-H-E-K for 10% off. Follow Paul on Instagram and Twitter at Living4D Podcast or on his YouTube podcast channel, youtube.com forward slash Living4D with Paul Check. Remember, you can watch more on Paul's blog at paulchecksblog.com and at the Czech Institute's new media site, chakiva.com.com.